I hate the fact that it's cool to be black these days. Good. I hate this hip-hop fucking influence on white fucking suburbia. Good. And I hate Tabitha Soren and all her Zionist MTV fucking pigs telling us we should get along. Save the rhetorical bullshit, Hillary Rodham Clinton, because it ain't gonna fucking happen. Open our eyes. Every night, thousands of these parasites stream across the border. Over two million illegal immigrants bedding down in this state tonight. million dollars just to lock up a bunch of illegal immigrants, criminals. There's nothing funny going on here. This is about your life and mine. Statue of Liberty, it says, give me your tired, your hungry, your poor. Well, it's Americans who are tired and hungry and poor. And I say until you take care of that, close the fucking book. going on and I don't see anybody doing anything about it. And he fucking pisses me off. This isn't our fucking neighborhood. It's a battlefield.
What's up, family? How's everyone doing tonight? Thank you all very, very much for tuning in to another episode of the Eagles List. It's your boy, John Fashcroft, and with me, as always, is our boy, Akila. How are you doing, brother? I couldn't be better, John. Racial greetings. Racial greetings to you, and racial greetings to the chat. Oh, man, and we got a great guest tonight, man, uh, courtesy of Brother Akila. Thank you for uh, getting a hold of uh, Tim from the Daily Rate. Brother, how are you, man? I'm good, good. How are you guys doing? Doing great, man. Thank you very much for coming on, man. I'm really interested to talk to you uh because I actually, I actually have some legit questions about like journalism. We'll get to all that in a minute. Let's say what's up. Uh, thank you very much for coming on, man. And I'm going to say yeah, what's course. up to everybody here tonight. Tipsy, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? Uh, I don't know if you got my message, but yes, tomorrow is, is good with me. That's, that's perfect. Uh, and yes, you guys, that video that everybody was commenting on, uh, Tipsy made the video. I made the song for it, but Tipsy put that video to it. Great fucking job. What's up, Confed- work, Confederate Scott, Pagan Bear, Gibbs Bonanza, Bounded by Glory, Pedal Fast. What's up, family? How are y'all doing? Borg Must Die, Trey Xanthian. What's up, family? Tay AI. How are you doing, family? Uh, who we got here? Learn how to cook by asking me questions. <laughs> What's up? Uh, la- yeah, ladies, if you don't know how to cook, there's your... There's your uh, there's your person right there. Thank you for being here. I don't think I've ever seen you here before, so thank you for joining us. Uh, welcome aboard. Carbon Fiber, what's up, brother? World Pro- White Pride Worldwide, absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, who else we got here? Thank you very much for that donation, Carbon Fiber. Man Before Time, what's up, family? Partisan, what's up, fam? Flint Ironstag. Pilgrim, thank you. Uh, Flint Ironstag, what's up, family? Pilgrim, thank you very much. He says, love that memoir of our video you posted, Fast Cross. Uh, great job, man. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, there's some, uh, <clears throat> I'm actually thinking about going back out there and telling a couple other stories I forgot. There was a lot of shit I forgot, uh, to talk about out there. But yeah, thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, wow, just wow. What's up, fam? Nigger hating Dave. What's up, family? J- JQR code Smitty. Uh, Partisane. What's up, family? How are y'all doing? Open road. Uh, and I think that's the, the top of it. Uh, Flockus Merlin. Hey, what's up, buddy? Haven't seen you in a while. Splash, what's up, family? What's up, Splash? Odigo. Strumweger. Gibbs Bananas. Hadrian. Fire Pain. What's up, family? How are y'all doing? Thank you all very much for being here. Hey, what's up, Beefy? He said, uh, thank you very much, Beefy. He says, y'all heard about the new car that Jews built? Stops on a dime and picks it up, too. (laughs) 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 Thank you very, very much, man. But yeah, guys. It's called uh, called the Shekel Monster. Abe, what's up, brother? How you doing? Abe Macro, what's up, family? No, I said the the car is called the Shekel Monster. Oh. But anyways, guys, let's That's get your name too. Uh, oh yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is. is. I didn't think. <laughs> I thought you were talking about me. Sorry if you can't see it on there, but yeah, know, back here. I didn't think about that until I fucking looked over there. Yeah, it is Shekel Monster. That's hilarious. Oh, uh, man. All right, give me just one second, guys. Let me do this real quick, and then we're going to get on into it. All right, let's get on into it. So, Brother Tim, man, uh, when exactly did you start uh, the doing uh, – let's not even say the Daily Rake, but when exactly did you get into journalism? Is this something you, you started in college, or, or is this something you've always been to, or is it something you picked up here recently? No, it's something I've picked up in the, in the past few years. Um, for just get yeah, first of all, hi to the chat. And if we're just going to get to uh, my story, you know, we could start with daily news or anything. But yeah, basically, I started a site that I'm a little embarrassed about now. It's not not the best writing. Don't even want to give the name. And it was um, done HTML, you know, <laughs> treat yourself out of code 
do this type thing. Not not a well, uh, not a very beautiful site. And I was covering British Columbian politics and Canadian politics because my thinking was, well, there's nothing going on in Canada. Akila can attest to this. Everything is totally fake and gay. You know, say whatever you want about the NJP, but there's nothing, there's no even equivalent of that. Sales, help. Say what you want about even Nick Fuentes, and I've said quite a lot of negative things myself, but there's nothing even like that going on in Canada. You know, there's just nothing going on here. And yet, there's something very demoralizing, I think, about when you, um, when you're, I hate to use the term red pill because it's overused these days, but when you know what's going on in the world and you don't have any ability to affect it. And what I was trying to do is basically catalog the local version of that around where I am in sort of the interior of BC and also the lower mainland. And while I wouldn't say that the writing quality was necessarily excellent, this was about, um, I think I started this late 2019, early 2020. You know, the writing quality wasn't excellent, but uh, I think there was a lot of things that I that I did that were good. It certainly helped build my writing skills, and it cataloged a lot of things that were important. Interestingly enough, actually, I, I have it to go back and reference one of my old pieces on that site for the Meng Wangzhou affair, which the cliff notes are basically the Canadian government just straight up... Are we getting interference? Okay, anyway, we the Canadian be. government... Is there something wrong on your end? Everything I, sounds I fine I'm on hearing, my I'm end. Hearing this, oh, I heard, I'm hearing this squealing. Uh, sound like an electrical interference thing. Anyway, sorry. So basically, the Canadian government kidnapped Meng Wangzhou, um, held her as essentially a political prisoner to put pressure on the Chinese government. They released her earlier today or yesterday, and I you know, have to re reference the own site to you know find out what, what uh, was happening there. So I did some good journalism, but ultimately it never really caught on. And I was writing in a vacuum. I had a Telegram channel that was linked to that, and I had 20 followers, right? So eventually you can get a little discouraged doing that kind of thing. And yes, you know, I didn't have any internal tools to know how many people I was reaching. I didn't have a YouTube channel. I had a BitChute channel, but you know, I got 60 views, maybe 200 views if I posted it on 4chan. The thing that, that actually got me out of it, and I hate to use the term black belt because I, I find that there's a lot of um, sort of people whine a lot, right? And, and use, oh, I'm just black belt as an excuse to whine in public. But, um, I was sitting there in a trial of Rob Hoogland, and I don't want to get too in-depth in this because I'm trying to blitz the rest of my story, but this is a father who was sent to jail for breaking a publication ban where he wasn't allowed to talk to the media about what, we, what was being done to his 12, 13-year-old daughter. Basically, she was being turned into a man. She was being sterilized um, after being groomed. Now, typical story, right? Broken home. He was divorced from his wife, only found out about this when he looked at his child's yearbook found she was using a boy's name, you know, teachers didn't want to tell him what was going on. I sat there in the sentencing for his trial where he pled guilty and the judge went on a 45-minute rant. Okay, I'm getting the most insane, like, electrical squeaking noise. Sorry, sorry if people can't hear that. I'll power through it. Anyway, yeah, I wonder so, what that is. Do you hear it, Akila? I do. It's really weird. It sounds like he's, somebody's, somebody's shitting himself. <laughs> I actually thought you guys were having... Anyway. Is that is that uh, coming through on the stream, guys? Uh, in the chat, uh, let us know if there's some sort of interference coming through on the stream because I don't hear anything. Now I don't hear anything, but I did before. But the chat doesn't seem to mind, right? So, 
That's all right. That's really weird because everything sounds great on mine. It does sound like somebody's like fucking around with their mic, like handling their mic a whole bunch, but it's not like interference. I wouldn't say. Okay, I didn't even uh, touch my mic, but it's not. It's not that sound. Seeing red. Thank you very much. Good evening, brother. Uh, hail. All right, now, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So anyway, sorry. To then, I uh, I sat this at this trial. This judge goes on a 45 minute rant, literally talking about you know our democracy, blah blah blah. And he says that even though the punishment no, I anything, for Rublin is supposed to be 45 days for breaking this but the bullshit chat publication ban, where they were just trying to keep in public what they're doing to children, and especially Rob Hoogland's child, he says, well, you knew the punishment was 45 days, and you did the crime anyway. Therefore, you can't, you know, this punishment's not enough, because the purpose of punishment is to dissuade people from doing things. So I'm just going to arbitrarily give you 180 days in prison, and the smugness of this fucking cunt judge, I remember sitting there very clearly thinking, like, someone needs to do something to this guy. And that's actually when I stopped doing the journalism. I remember thinking, like, this is actually making me so mad that I'm going to kill someone. Like, I'm literally going to kill someone if I keep doing this, so I have to just stop doing it because I can't just cover this and, and just be telling people what's going on. So I stopped doing that, so I work on that site. In 2020, I didn't do anything for a year, and then, out of nowhere, on the TRS forums, the right stuff, it's called Be a Nice Guy, Bang, some guy says, hey, you know, I'm thinking of starting a site, because we were all pissed at Andrew Anglin and how he was defending Harvey Weinstein, and just generally being a total fucking, you know, traitor to who he used to be, uh, Andrew Ang of the Daily Stormer, for those of you who... I'm going to kill someone, like, I'm literally going to kill someone uh, if I keep doing this. So we're going to start our own site, Hyphen Report, I got in with him. We started off um, making the site. Now, that didn't go so well uh, between the two of us. Let's just say I got squeezed out. I have good feelings towards people who run Hyphen Report now, but you know, I documented what happened between me and the guy who went by Hyphen Pajit. Um, but I think it, we, did a very, we did a very essential thing, right? We were filling a niche that wasn't filled, which is someone in our politics documenting um, what's going on in the world on a daily basis, which has the benefit of keeping you know making it a routine in people's um lives right to come back and check up every day not sort of drift away for three months that is a in a form that's not just a podcast or a show like yours where a lot of people just don't have the ability to um you know listen to podcasts or or watch the show especially if say you're working right so you want to just on your phone or whoever click on the site look at a few articles and get your news that way, but you don't want to go to a real, or sorry, a, a uncensored news um, station, let's say, like CBC, because that's just global homo propaganda. So we started that, and it went well. Now, again, we had the falling out. I started the Daily Rake, and that guy was good enough to give me all the articles I'd written for Hyphen Report, and started the Daily Rake, um, you know, doing the same thing, document documenting daily news, doing some journalism, doing kind of a mix of things, which I'll, I'll get into later if you guys want to. And then, um, yeah, I mean, here we are. All right. I think I might have fixed the uh, – do you guys still hear the noise? I don't no. hear the noise. Awesome. I think I figured out what it was. Sorry about that, guys. Before you uh, continue with 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 your 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 stuff for Tim John, uh, the the trial that you mentioned there, Tim, um, with that father was one of the toughest 
absolutely toughest things that I've ever seen come out of Clown World. Um, yeah. it, it had a similar impact on me, really deeply affected me. Um, and um, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I don't know that I can even elaborate, but um, it, it's it, that specific incident is is one of my main motivators as well and my main drivers to be able to to get out there and try and make some kind of impact. It's it, it, the the pain that that father must have been going through and the leverage of the state against him was is just so deeply egregious um, that it, it really it, it 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 really solidified my my dissidence and my. Um, my commitment, you know, in, in the end, it was kind of the, the cherry on this on the Sunday for me, aside from some of my own personal uh, experiences. So, yeah, it's I had a similar reaction. It's absolutely brutal scenario. Yeah, no, it's it's I mean, like I said in the articles, the reason they put publication bans on everything is because they know what they're doing is unpopular, not just unpopular, I mean, violently unpopular. Uh, amongst not even just us but amongst everyone you know i've never seen someone get told something like this is happening where you have children being sterilized at the age of 13 years old you know starting at the age of 12 they're being groomed and then 13 they're put on permanently sterilizing hormones they're allowed to do whatever surgeries you know they want chop their tits off uh you know do the bottom surgeries it's called and the parents aren't even informed of this you know and then to the extent they are they are told that if they refer to their child, their daughter, as their daughter, that's considered family violence, and they'll go to jail for referring to your daughter as your daughter. You have to refer to your daughter as your son now. And if you go and tell anyone anything about this trial, then you are breaking a publication ban, and you will go to jail. And again, the judge kept saying over and over again, all these people would say, you know, this father is victimizing this child by... Uh, you know, public, publishing some details of the case, like, oh, God, this is just horribly victim. I'm like, you're literally sterilizing a child. You were destroying a child, and, and the father who's trying to save them is the one being punished. It's, it's The crazy thing about it is now there's just a case that just come out. It's crazy you bring that up because there was a case we were going to talk about uh, that just come out here in the, in the, uh, in the States, but – uh, where they had like the U.S. military investigating a mother for trying to for uh, calling out a school for sexualizing her her uh, student. Uh, but what they're doing now with these uh, with this tranny shit and the hormone replacement shit is they're giving these kids books, um, and like in the sex ed classes in these little like uh, children's books. There was one that just come out. Uh, I can't remember what the fuck it was called. But anyways, what they're doing is they're telling them, oh, if you don't have an adult in your life that you trust with your transition, call this number or get a hold of this organization, right? They always, they have like these little, these, these, these organizations. I don't know what else to call them, these organizations you can call so you can sneak behind your parent. These kids can sneak behind their parents back and start getting on hormone and puberty blockers without their parents' knowledge. And the, and the fucking schools are providing it. Well, I, I mean, I didn't know we were going to talk about the child training stuff. It's it's one of the worst things going on in clown world right now. But I remember writing um, about mermaids and and a lot of these in UK too. The gender transition, kind of like I forget the exact name, right? I wish I had the material in front of me. One of the reasons why I have the site, of course, is to document things like this. Sorry, document things like this for political purposes for other people to use. But it's amazing how. Um, they do two things. Number one, they're now letting the kids, and even Chris Beck, the tranny marine guy, remember? he's He just yep. came out recently, and he said, 
Um, you know, I was in a, it was cult, a mistake, blah, blah, blah. but yeah. they're letting the kids diagnose themselves. That's yeah. the new where this is going, new way this is going, where they're saying the kid, you know, some some twelve year old who watches a lot of social media and is struggling. And for those of you who are sort of our age, I'm thirty years old. I don't know how old uh, fashion thirty nine. I think yeah, sort of the roughly the same generation. Yeah, a lot of what they do is they target the kids who were, especially the girls who, you know, way back when might have been goth. Might have maybe, oh, yeah. maybe cut themselves a little bit, you know, they weren't doing very well. Maybe they're a little overweight, those types. And way back when they could be goth for a little while and then they would just grow out of it, right? And no harm, no foul. Whereas now uh, they literally have them sterilized. I mean, they, they put them on this path. They give them a friend group. I mean, you know, I'd use the term as loosely as possible, a peer group really is more like it. That constantly tells them, you know, if you're going to be part of this, you need to be the absolute most extreme pro-tranny, like, you know, constantly affirmation, affirming the most insane shit possible. And then they say that, you know, doctors should just automatically die. If the kid comes in and says, I'm a tranny, the doctor should say, yes, you are a tranny now, which is a fake made up category in the first place. Um and then not only that, they don't care. Like people, the kids who've dropped out of this, and this was detailed more in the UK case, I think, oh, sorry, the Tavistock Gender Clinic. There we go. Tavistock Gender Clinic. Look up dailyrate.ca. You can search on the site, Tavistock. Um, and the thing that stuck out the most in my mind is how little they care about the kids. Like they don't do follow-up stuff. So if you, they don't, they don't want to know how you're doing. They don't care. Once you've take, once you've been sterilized, mission accomplished you know they, they've made the money off it but of course as we know uh what eric striker has the line right the jew is the master of of how do i say this the jew is the master of turning their politics into business right so it's not just that these people are this is a way for them to make money obviously they're they're politically motivated to do this and then they set up this system where there's a lot of people who are sociopaths who have been given a path to make a lot of money by destroying children this way and again they don't care what happens to them they don't they don't do follow-ups they don't ask to see how they're doing they don't care well and these fucking surgeries don't even work oh, right no, like course. that's that's of the course. most horrifying well i guess that's not the most horrifying part because there's so many horrifying parts about this but yeah it's a cavalcade yeah it's like yeah like right? pick yeah exactly it really is it really is lovecraftian like these monstrosities uh like the the darkness of man coming out uh but like these cavities that these these dudes get cut into them never heal, right? They're always having to insert things in it to keep it open. It's always just like an open sore wound, and that's the best case scenario, right? That is the best fucking case scenario that you're able to to maintain this open sore. Uh, exactly. And and the guys have this weird flaccid thumb. Hanging down there, that's completely useless. It's just, it's fucking bizarre, man. And uh, what yeah. would, they, what did they used to call this? They used to, there was a medical term for this that they they got rid of in like the seventies or the eighties. It was called uh, uh, gynophilia or some shit like that. I've heard the name thrown about. Yeah, some shit like that. Some sort of like gynophilia, where men are sexually aroused by the uh, thought of them having female sexual organs it used to be a fucking legit mental case a mental condition and then of course it still is but i mean it's just not right that way. they took it off the book right they took it off the official books and shit but yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's true by definition. Look, sometimes you can get caught up in, in clown world and, like, grant them an inch you shouldn't grant. There's no such thing as a tranny. There's no such thing as someone being more in the wrong body. And the example I always use is this guy, I forget his name, but he's this tranny who is going on about how he's done a lot of plastic surgeries to make himself a woman. And he's also done plastic surgeries to make himself a dragon because he identifies as a dragon. So now if he identifies as a dragon, but he isn't one, why is it when he identifies as a woman, he is? Well, he isn't. Like, he identifies as a dragon, and he isn't. And he has a mental illness for thinking he is. And he identifies as a woman, but he isn't. And he has a mental illness for thinking that he is. And it's one thing, like, no one can really consent to any of this tranny stuff. Because, you know, you have to be mentally ill to do this, to cause this harm to your body. And, like, you you can't, you're not in a headspace to consent to this by virtue of the fact that you want it done to you. 100%. In the same way that that case of the guy, uh, the guy in Germany, man, this was, one of the, this was one of the most fucked up things I ever wrote about. This happened a long time ago, um, I think in the 90s. So I was writing about it way, way after the fact. But there was this gay cannibal, this guy put out an ad in Germany and he oh, wanted to a guy and have sex with him. And so they had sex and the guy basically voluntarily had himself drugged they chopped off his penis they ate his penis together then he killed the other guy and slowly ate his corpse now this was all consensual this was between consenting adults but the thing is you can't consent to that because by virtue of the fact that you want that done to you you are not physically able to consent to it in the same way that if someone is totally smashed on alcohol that they can't consent to sex, right? Um, well, that, that, that's a totally different story, but that, that's actually much more gray zone. Well, than, how, how much alcohol are we talking about here? You know yeah. what I'm saying there, buddy? No. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm fucking you. around. Just having fun, right? no. I was just fucking but, uh, around. But yeah. that's, that's even a bad example, right? Because that's that's like a gray zone. There's nothing gray about... I can You just, you just can't consent to being eaten, right? <laughs> you can't consent yeah, to well, I remember being told in... I remember being told in high school by um, teachers and I guess the first sex ed class that, that they had for us at my age of 13 or I was probably 12 years old, would have been in the seventh grade, where they explained to us that if you have sex with a girl who has consumed alcohol, that like by law, she cannot consent because she has alcohol in her system and therefore you're a rapist. 12 right, years well, old. And a little bit is ridiculous. Yeah. But it is, there's something to be said for... Like, it's just disgusting that we've all seen the girl who's so smashed she can barely stand up, and the, the guy who pulls her into the room, or tries to at least, you know, and it's like, man, I'm not even sure she knows what's going on. Yeah, that's or vice versa. I don't, I don't want to be taken advantage of by some... Some some brap hog, some, huh? hog. some big brap hog, yank you into a room and blow the shit out me, of you. Know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so drunk I can barely get hard, but, you know, she, she's, she's, she's spotted a target, right? Now, that's not nearly as bad as having your dick chopped off, whether it's eaten by you or not in the gay cannibal thing, or whether it's just shoved back up into your body and turned into a, you know, a neo-vagina, as they call it. Well, one thing I pointed out, and again, like I said, so no adult can consent to this, but it's one thing if an adult does it. Like, it's one thing if someone, some loser who's 60 years old has nothing going on in their life, and, you know, okay, they're going to go around and call themselves a tranny. Now, fine, I shouldn't have to call them a tranny, too. And I don't think they should. a doctor should be allowed to mutilate them. 
or give them hormones that, you know, destroy their body. But, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. Whatever. It's totally different when they're taking advantage of children who are this young. And I've said before that as disgusting and repulsive and totally indefensible as pedophilia is, it's less harmful to the children if someone were to literally rape them than this. Because they'll yeah. at least physically be able to recover from them. That's one of those, mentally is one thing. That's one of those brutal truths, right? Yeah, like <laughs> pedophilia those brutal is like, less uh... bad than child trannies. Yeah, and imagine that you know we we end up in this situation where we're even having a conversation where we need to parse out <laughs> yeah. what's worse, right? Like yeah, it's yeah. To, to be able to try to even attempt to rationalize, even in a negative manner, like what what's going on and what's happening to our children, um, and the fact that this is state regulated, not only state regulated but state enforced. enforced that you yes. have um, the 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 power of the state, right? The the violence perpetuated by the state by by police. Um, as a, as an enforcement of this, it, it's just it's it. I really like I I I have trouble wrapping my head around it, and it does something similar to what you described when you were seeing that courtroom, where it just like it kind of breaks my brain. You know, I kind of have to just shove, just push it aside because um, it's 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 actually difficult to like get through the day. You know, so if you spend yes. any extra time really considering these things, you're going to impact your own mental health like fairly deeply. Um, so it's not, it's, 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 it's unconscionable, really, truly. Yeah. Well, I yeah, mean, go ahead, brother. Well, there, there are fun, there are hilarious aspects of clown world. You know, I try to document those too. No, you do a but, good job at that for sure. I, we're you. getting a little, I mean, a little it, blast. The material it. writes itself, right? Like the, oh God, speaking of trannies, the, uh, black trans girl in Maine. Did you guys catch those articles? This guy, oh my goodness. So he's a man who pretends he's a woman who pretends he's pregnant with his wife's who's actually a a woman but she's a tranny too so she's pretending to be a man while he's pretending to be a woman so they're married in this interracial relationship and he's pretending that he is pregnant with the child there's no evidence i mean the whole and the you know that i'm not even scraping the bottom of the barrel that like there are some things that are legitimately hilarious yeah that are going on even with the tranny stuff but there's some things that are just horrifying I mean, man, it's hard it's hard to it, it, i hate to i hate to use the term fed posting because the natural reaction to this is someone needs to make an example of these people yeah and it's going that's, to happen i mean and i'm that's i'm not even fed posting i mean take it for what you will but it's going to happen we were talking about this the other day so uh you've been seeing a lot of this this has been like the one thing that that people have been able to uh, tacitly come together over, right? Like we just saw in Ohio, the the mixture of Proud Boys and National Socialists mm-hmm. and all these other groups coming together to protest the Tranny Story Hour. We've seen we've seen uh, Patriot Front do it. We've seen regular, just old like normie boomer groups do it. This is the one thing that people can come together over, and that is the it, that is what convinces me that they are trying to start some sort of civil unrest in this country because that is the one thing. That everyone knows if you come after. We were saying on the on the last show, like that will get a docile, weak, uh, coward to react violently, fucking with his kids. Right? That's the one thing that will ignite people to do some really dumb shit. And they keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And it's well, I'm. Uh, so you're saying that it's basically inevitable. They're trying. To, they're trying yeah, to get us. They're trying to get that. Yeah, I think. So. I, I disagree with that. I think that to some extent. 
people under people overestimate how intelligent people at top are, and I think they underestimate how <laughs> how their golems can get off the uh, off the hook. This is the example I always use. So a lot of this shit happened in the Weimar Republic, and it's one of the reasons why the NSDAP got elected. Right. Yes. So they didn't they, they didn't want that to happen. So why didn't they just stop with the uh, you know mother daughter the child yeah. prostitutes? Like why didn't they just stop all that? Well, I think because it's in their nature. It's almost like the scorpion, right? Like but, why the scorpion yes. stabbed the frog, and they both because I'm a scorpion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, in yeah. my nature. I'm a scorpion. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be right about that, but it just seems so obvious to me, right? That like this is going to be the inevitable reaction. Like people are going to start reacting extremely violently if the continuing if they continue butchering children. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, but there's also there's also um and they there's a lot of research on this, right? So. On one hand, I think that, let's say I was uh, a they American, as Kanye, or a red American, as Kanye might say. <laughs> let's say that I I don't like this because I think it's it's bad. It's it's causing harm to my political agenda because it's so, it's so in your face, it's so terrible. You know, the drag, pedo story time, the child trannies, all that stuff. But there's a problem where once you, if, if they just came in and shut that down, First of all, what mechanism would they do, use to do that? Well, they, could they use the Liberal Party? Could they use the Conservatives, Republicans, whatever? But if people start getting something tangible like that, the risk is normal people will come back to politics. Because right now, politics is just all Finkel think, all people who are really invested in like the Republican Party or Democrats or you know, Mitch McConnell's Dems are the real right. Like, that's all fake and gay bullshit. Normal people have checked out. If you do something tangible with people like, we're going to shut down all these... these um, you know, drag story time stuff. We're going to put the people in char- who are responsible for mutilating children in jail, which is, you know, they really, they should be executed. Then you run the risk of, well, people are going to get back into politics and they'll say, well, okay, that was good. Now do more for me. So I think there's a, there's an internal, internal battle there. Conflict, like where yeah. They can't quite get everything they want because their golems, they need their golem. Like, they, okay, they need, they need Antifa to do certain things. Like, you know, start fights with Proud Boys so that the state can come in and, and pretend the Proud Boys started it right, like they did in New York. And, um, you know, do things like that. Be the unpaid um, censors for trillion-dollar multinational, you know, tech companies like Twitter. Well, you don't need that so much anymore, but they need them for certain yeah, things. Yeah, the janissaries, and, right? Yeah, yeah, the janissaries, exactly. They need those middle managers. So this is just one of the things where those people are, you know, they're going to do that. And also... I mean, I think uh, uh, the trans-industrial complex, Antelope Hill, shout out to them. Man, they, I need there's that There's a great book, book the, the Trans-Industrial Complex. Yeah, Scott they Howard. Show, like, well, this is all astroturf from the top anyway. So there, there's a few billionaires, or really just one uh, Jew family billionaire. I think it's the Pritzker family that are pushing this, and this is their thing. And, you know, how are they going to tell that billionaire no? Well, maybe, maybe they could, right? Because they've certainly told... Elon Musk, no, and they got him his balls in a in a box. But you know, I don't know. I just think that this is getting a little bit of a little bit out of control for them. Yeah, like I said, now real real quick before I forget this, I actually think uh, it's my opinion. I talked about this a while back. I actually we did a whole fucking show. Me and a guy named White Israelite called Music as a Weapon, and uh, I it's my opinion that the tranny agenda, this hardcore transgender industrial complex, as Scott Howard put it, uh, really got it started picking up steam 
uh, with hair metal. I think hair metal was the first introduction of transgender shit with bands like Poison and Motley Crue and Winger coming out on stage dressed like fucking females, but still having beautiful women attached to them, right? So it made guys think like, oh, it's okay to dress like a total faggot because hot bitches will still want to fuck you, right? You got Nikki Six out there and like a fucking fishnet t-shirt and fucking skin-tight patent leather pants and lipstick and eyeshadow and shit. You know what I mean? Getting a whole generation of young men comfortable with with weird homoerotic shit. Yep. Well, we know. I mean, we know who runs the music industry. It's more relevant now than ever. And if they weren't doing what uh, Shlomo wanted them to do, they'd get yanked. 100%. So maybe... Let me read these uh, these off real quick. Uh, Dissident Thoughts, thank you very much. He says the pendulum has to swing back hard at some point. Uh, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> That's the theory. Uh, but, man. Weimar, Weimar conditions get Weimar solutions. Uh, but, man, I'm telling you, man, somebody's going to end up reacting extremely violently to these tranny, uh, this tranny shit with the kids, man. That's just... That's... Well, it, it's already happened. I mean, someone shot up the uh, the place that was hosting the drag story time thing now there's a bit of confusion because apparently oh. that guy had pronouns in his bio but there's no evidence that he himself was a tranny other than that which uh makes people think maybe he was trolling them like because i mean I've, I've called myself an israeli tranny before right yeah yeah so, yeah uh and he killed five five of those people injured a whole bunch more where was this at when the fuck did this happen oh well, this was a huge deal it just a few weeks ago right like um I'll look it up uh, if you want to keep talking. Yeah, they shot. Yeah, I'll keep. Uh, I didn't know a tranny story. I already gotten shot up. That's wild. Uh, I knew that in Tulsa, uh, not too far, about an hour from me, in a town called Tulsa in Oklahoma, there's a, a donut shop out there that keeps doing these tranny uh, donut days and shit like that. And their shit has been like Molotov cocktailed and the windows busted out and all kinds of shit. <laughs> but yeah, not I mean, shut up. Here we go. Homocost, Colorado Springs gunman permanently cancels all ages drag shows on November 21st. This was two weeks ago. What? So the this fuck? is in Colorado. There was a Colorado Springs LGBTQ club, and a guy walked in. Club with a Q. Rifle okay, yeah. And killed five people and injured 25. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that had anything to do with tranny story hours. I did. I do know the, the shooting you're talking about. The, the 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 disgruntled homo that went and shot up the Club Q. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, are we sure it was a homo? Cause I no, that, that was just what we ran with. We totally, no, we totally just made it up and said that he was a disgruntled homo that uh, oh, well. that uh, was mad because he didn't get invited to the fuck party, so shot up the gay bar. It was just fucking out. <laughs> they did, by the way. They planned to host a drag brunch for all ages just a few days later. Oh, wow. They had advertising for it already up on Facebook, etc. So. Hmm. Uh... Nurax, thank you very much. Nurax says, God bless Dr. Shekelstein. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Nurax. Uh, Jack Handy says, recently I had I read that Israeli pharmaceutical company Teva is the only producer of sex change hormones. Wow. Let me grab that. I'm going to grab that, and I'm going to look that up during the break and see if that's true. Uh, autogynophilia. Thank you, Rock Against Communism. Yes, that's the fucking thing I was talking about. It used to be called autogynophilia, and then uh, it was autogynophilia and gender dysphoria, and then they completely took it off of the medical journal thing. Uh, Fire of Pants. Thank you very much. You said a link. 
Sick Dean in Chicago school brags about handing out dildos, butt plugs, and lube to students. Yeah, man, they teach yeah, crazy. In, in these in That's these high it. school in these high school sex ed classes. Man, they teach like proper ways to lubricate for fucking butt sex and all kinds of fucked up shit, man. All kinds yeah, of fucked up amazing. shit. You have to talk to your kids. If you ain't talking to your fucking, if you got kids in public schools, and trust me, guys, I'm not one of these people who tell you you're a shitty parent if you can't homeschool your kids because I get it. We can't. We cannot afford to do it. We both have to work. It's just not a fucking option. We would love to, but we can't. So I understand. But if your kids are in public school, you've got to be talking about your kids on daily, if possible, at least a weekly basis about what the fuck is going on in their school. You have to. By the way, it's amazing how, so now they're teaching kids, here's here's the right amount of lube to apply if you want to have 100 dicks shoved in your ass tonight. Why is there no... Because people are proud to be gay, so why is there no education about how, um, you know, 30% of homosexuals above the age of 40 have to be in adult diapers because they can't stop shitting themselves? Why is there no, why is there no, why is there no that ed- education out there? Like, what about anal prolapses? Why don't we show the kids that? Because if you're proud of being gay, you should be proud of all the things that come with being gay, like on the STDs, etc., yeah, man, that was one of the most shocking things to me. And it was like it was obvious once I found it out, but I never thought about that. And that's when I really uh, like it really clicked in my head that this is a severe mental Ill- illness. And in my opinion, uh, this this homosexual I'm a Christian. So uh, this ex- extreme homosexuality, the transgender shit and uh, extreme drug addiction to like meth and heroin and drugs like that is demonic possession because these people are torturing themselves. Like when I found out. That every time homosexuals have sex, they have ass tears, they get anal fissures, or eventually it prolapses to where their whole ass just falls out. When I figured that out, I was like, holy shit, these people are possessed because they're doing something that does not feel good, right? It obviously causes them pain for days and days on end, and they cannot quit. They can't quit. And that is just, that is like the definition of demonic possession to me. Yeah. It's fucking wild, dude. I cannot, I could not believe that. It just being fucking physically tortured. Uh, for, yeah. Well, I mean, there's no question it's harmful for their bodies in the long run. Now, I don't know. Maybe some of them do like it because I did see, man, this is one of the most fucked up things. I keep saying that one of the most fucked up things I've seen. Like we said, you know, there are lots of candidates in clown world for the most fucked up thing. Right. But this was on YouTube. It was a guy who was trying uh Oh, Jesus Christ. I almost feel gay for saying this. There's a bunch of dildos he bought. And he had his... I don't even want to say gay lover. Just just a guy with a dick who's also gay. Because, you know, probably the 100,000th dick he's taken in his life. And the video was, can I tell the difference between a real dick in my ass and these dildos? Now, I was like... I watched this so you didn't have to. But... Um, I think there's some of these people who, I, I guess, their their assholes have expanded enough where they enjoy it. They get a lot of problems with it. A lot of them don't, right? So there's Surviving Gay, where the guy keeps talking about the extreme pain he experiences, crying in the shower because his ass hurts so much. Then he's got like, oh man, there's like bacteria growing in his ass. Now we all have bacteria in our in our bodies, of course, but like growing in like burying itself in in tears and stuff he's gotten and there's parasites in there it's just just revolting stuff and the pain he goes into but i don't necessarily think that all of them get that right 
but eventually all of them have their assholes and not work and have to be in. And also, one of the best articles I ever uh, that was ever on the Hyphen Report wasn't written by me. It was written by a different guy who only wrote the one article. He was cataloging um, things these people had said on Twitter about how like their assholes stopped working when they were teenagers, but they loved it. The, the quote was, um, having to be in adult diapers is a price well worth paying for the exquisite pleasure of anal sex. My God. Jeez. Yeah. That was from a guy who uh, basically had his ass stop working. Can't stop shitting at 19. At 19 years old. At 19, yeah. 19 fucking years old. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about, like, the 12-year-old and right up to the 19-year-old, like, 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 you know, these are, the reality is that these are babies. Like, yes. You know, when you're a parent and, and you see, you know, and you, and you love your child, that child, it's, it remains that, that baby to you. And, and so the thing that they're playing with is, is something like one of the most beautiful, um, you know, sort of relate. It, it's the basis for like love, right? Like it's most pure sort of love that you can have. And then, so it, 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 the, the the reverse of that the the anger and the, and the the hatred and the and the potential for violence that you're welling up in a, in another human being by by toying with that very beautiful emotion it's it get like I I don't I I get at a loss for words I don't have the words to express how heinous these these things are um, and I, I I pray I I I, I take time to, to pray every day that there's retribution for these acts in, in our society. Um, and you know, uh, yeah, I, it really, it puts me at a loss for words. That's it, man. There has to be a retribution for this shit, man. But, uh, we did get kind of fucking, uh, sidetracked. I wanted to ask you, man. So, um, you were saying, uh, earlier how like the first, uh, we, I was meaning to ask you this when you were talking about it. We just got way off into the conversation though, but you were saying earlier how you thought your first site, um, <clears throat> wasn't that good and the writing wasn't that good. And then you went on to make several other sites, man. Uh, for a while there, WhiteTuber had started a site called White Talk Daily. And man, dude, it's extremely hard to keep up with all that shit and keep putting out new stuff every day or at least a couple times a week and keep things fresh and keep things um, original, right, and entertaining. And man, that's extremely hard to do. And at least WhiteTuber, I think he he said he had done that shit in college, right? He worked for like the college newspaper and shit. So he yeah. knew his way around that shit. Um, like, I guess you said you didn't do that. What, like, what did you do in school to, like, you know, like, did you go to college? Like, how, uh, like, how did I've you come never, up? I've um, never been taught as a writer. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, that's what uh, I was asking. self-taught. Yeah. Well, so basically it helps to be currently unemployed, right? So you got all the time to <laughs> do it. There, there is the one benefit, right? Um, I, I had a job teaching, well... I don't want to get into my entire life story. I had a yeah, job teaching fair. kids to code on the weekend and um, nothing to do with web coding though, unfortunately. So I didn't really have any help in building my site. Um, but no, I, I had no, no training as a writer, no training as a journalist. And um, I think it's one of those things where honestly, you just get better. You get better by doing like go back and watch your first um, shows, the Eagle's Nest. You're probably not as good. No, you know, they're... flowing from topic to topic, having the background. There's there's a lot of technical things, right, to writing. Yeah, and um, 
Yeah, it is very hard. It is essentially a full time. It's not essentially. It is a full time job that I essentially don't get paid for um, doing the site, but someone needs to do it. And the long term goal has always been to support eventual real political action. Now, whether that be, um, you know, supporting the Patriot Front and, and defending them against the charges of conservatives saying, oh, they, remember in Coeur d'Alene, they did that protest against the um, essentially the same type of thing, a drag show for kids, but it was in the park, so it was kind of for for all ages. Well, no, it is the same thing, but it was just not done in, in the privacy of a, of a building. They just did it in the open. And, of course, the police arrested them, and then you had conservatives going on saying, oh, they weren't unmasked, right? They're feds. And so I wrote a whole bunch of articles supporting them, put out some videos out there showing the police unmasking them, showing the police releasing, intentionally doxing them, releasing their stuff, like doing stuff in support of people like that, doing stuff in support of NJP when they do good protests, and hopefully eventually when they start running candidates, someone needs to be out there supporting them. And, of course, doing things here in Canada for ourselves, because ultimately there's a limit to how much I can do in America when I when I don't even go into the country, right? Well, and, I'm not a band, but I just don't go in. Well, and there's a limit to what you guys can do in Canada, because you guys got, they got a pretty tight grip on you guys up there. That's something else I wanted to talk about, man, Um, or I wanted to ask you about. Like, uh, and I think I've talked to Akila and another guy that used to come on the show a bit, uh, Spencer, back in the day about this. Um, I've also, it's also a similar thing with places like um, uh, Australia and, you know, um, UK, the UK, right? Things like this. Well, the UK is getting it a little harder now, it seems like, with the influx of African migrants. But, like, for, for me, coming from where I grew up, Canada is like the promised land. Right, because the Negro problem is so fucking bad in the United States. Well, so, right, making it worse up here, as you can imagine. Right, yeah, it's it's going to flood. It's going to by just naturally f- filter up there. But like, were these like? How did you come into you know like dissident right views? Did you grow up in a right wing family? Did you grow up in the inner city? Like for me, like I've talked about before, just to make a long story short, it was like a a, a just a progression of. You know, acknowledging reality, right? I grew up around these people. I knew how they are. I knew the things that, uh, you know, racists were saying about them, which was true. And I just eventually ended up here through, because of life, right? Uh, and right. the way I was raised. Uh, but like, how did you end up, uh, you know, on the pro-white side of things? Well, let me just first say I, I do want to add to what I said to the end of the last question, which is that I also think that just someone needs to catalog all this shit. Like, there's yeah. a lot of benefits to having a, a written down. Um, article that's why dissident mag exists there's a there's a lot of political benefit to just being able to document sort of anti-white firing so they can't say like well show us how white people are being fired when you say like okay i got 10 articles of white people explicitly being fired for being white so all the things that everyone knows are happening you know there's documented proof of it but to answer that question so i i am the traditional the the stereotypical almost sort of conservative libertarian to alt-right pipeline right where I came from a conservative, sort of conservative libertarian household, and eventually just, you know, started piece by piece, worked my way over. And like you said, I mean, we have, especially once you drop conservative bullshit, like capitalism is amazing and all these trillion dollar multinational corporations are just, you know, providing jobs and competing in the, in the marketplace and blah, and free market enterprise, blah, blah, blah. And you have just our politics. You realize that this is just what you believe if you have a political belief system that's based on empirical reality. Like, 
yes, Jews run the media, for instance. Like, that's just something that is just true. So I don't even, you know, it's a political belief, you could say. It's a political statement, but it's not really a political belief because it's just the truth. And as you said before, okay, you realize all the things that racists say about blacks are true. Well, yeah, of course. Like, yes, you know, every area that's full of blacks is violent, poor, and unpleasant. And it's because of them. Like, it's like the good schools thing, right? Well, why are the schools bad where all the black people are? Because there have been areas where black people have moved to. And then all of a sudden the schools get bad again. Like, of course, that's just, it's just naturally the way these people are. And so for me, it was just a sort of steady, slow progress of, um, you know, getting to where I am now, just just sort of like you, although, again, I didn't think I had the in-person experiences, at least those particular ones that you had. Yeah, and I actually came through kind of a similar uh, pipeline, right? Uh, I would never say libertarian so much as like uh, I went through the kind of Proud Boys-ish pipeline. I did a, a small mm-hmm. stint in the Proud Boys circles before uh, that that didn't work out. I ended up getting banned from all that shit. <laughs> and, actually, uh, actually got banned from a, a real life group here. I'll, I'll tell you guys about that if you, if you want. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I was a part of a Proud Boys like group in Canada. Now they were actually this was a bit more white than the Proud Boys, so I like the Proud Boys and they're fine, right? And I support them. I don't support them getting, say, labeled a terrorist organization by the Conservative Party of Canada as well as every other politician in our country of Canada. I don't support that at all. I don't support them being banned in New York. But I was part of a group that was more explicitly pro-white. I got banned from this group because I uh, said, someone said, you know, well, how are you going to deal with Antifa if they show up? And I say, oh, you know, it'd be nice to do a strafing run with an A-10 Warthog. And this guy banned me because he said that I was Fed posting. And it really, it really drove into my mind that for some people, the tiniest amount of power goes to their head. Like the t- some people are in politics or sort of not really in politics. They're in the doesn't right because they want a social group, which is fine. Or they want, they feel powerless in their lives. So they want to become the head of a little tiny organization, right? And take it on, on someone else. But it was funny. Just like, <laughs> it was, it, it's funny that I can say that I'm, I'm too hardcore for, you know, at least some of the real life groups I've been a part of. <laughs> Yeah, so that's funny because yeah, it was obviously you were joking and they fucking fucking spazzed out and started banning. Yeah, some people do uh have no ability to lead, right? Because their ego is they're they're too insecure and their ego is too big, so they have no ability to lead. But yeah, fucking so the way I got kicked out of the Proud Boys was Gavin after Charlottesville, after the march in Charlottesville, Gavin freaked the fuck out. Because he had told everybody in Proud Boys not to go and to stay away from it. And a couple guys ended up going anyway. So he freaks out after Charlottesville and and states a rule in the Proud Boys Facebook. Uh, This was like fucking, uh, yeah, it's 2017. Yeah, so back in 2017 when we were all still on Facebook, this was the Proud Boys main Facebook page. Uh, He instates a rule saying that you can only talk about race or, you know, World War II, basically, the Holocaust, once a month. And if you do it more than once a month... Uh, he's going to ban you. And like when that happened, me and like at least probably, uh, probably a decent, a uh, good hundred fucking other people got banned because we all just started going yeah. out and calling him a faggot, telling him he lost his balls and all this shit. And then, did he uh, ever have any? Is the question. <laughs> like uh, Gavin McInnes, the 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 thing he just did with Kanye West, he flies over there saving Yay, 
Like Kanye West is not a very intelligent man. I, I don't like his music. I've never liked his music. It's fine if you do, but his music is bad. But his politics are moving in the right direction. And when he's going out there and he's calling out, you know, I got fucked over by a bunch of Jews in the music industry. You know, I'm going to support him saying that. And when he gets on the Alex Jones, who is this grifting, gatekeeping piece of shit, keeps trying to say George Soros is not saying, when he's getting up there and he's saying, like, He's he's giving these softball questions like now Kanye you're 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 not really a Nazi right I mean you're he's like well you know I'm not so sure about that Alex like I I like Hitler you know everyone has something about that. I hate Nazis I hate Hitler what about you Kanye (laughs) and then Gavin McInnes this guy who shoved a dildo up his butt like he's supposed to be all about being edgy and he's going out there and he's saying like no 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 Kanye it's not Jews. It's these white liberals. Liberals, Kanye. yeah. It's all these. He keeps saying white liberals, like so. He's anti-white, but he's not. He's not. He's not going to be anti-Jew. He's not going to criticize Jews for the things they do. He's going to say. He's just going to say it's white people who did this. Guy, it's white. It's white liberals. White liberals. liberals. And the, to the extent that Jews are doing this, well, they're just. They're just not real Jews, right? They're not like Orthodox Jews. Like, yeah. So shit. this is perfect. This is a perfect fucking segue, uh, brother Tim, because I actually pointed this out. Uh, when E. Michael Jones... So this is like a new op that they just started running. Uh, I've never heard this before. I've been pretty plugged into politics since like 2015. And I haven't heard this bit before. I may have missed it, but I haven't heard... The first time I heard this bit was Ben Shapiro debating E. Michael Jones. And E. Michael Jones tried to pin him down on Jews and abortion. And Ben Shapiro was like, oh, well, um, those, are not, those aren't real Jews. Those aren't real plastic Jews. They don't go to Yeshiva. They don't go to synagogue. They don't practice. They don't read the Kabbalah and all this shit, right? right? So so now the new thing is he's rolling it out. Uh, I've got um, Joe Rogan and Ari Shafir rolling out this talking point. Gavin McInnes rolling out this talking point. That is the new thing that Jews have rolled out since anti-Semitism is on the rise. Now they're rolling out this, this, this bit that non-practicing Jews are just white liberals. And that's going to work perfect on niggers because niggers already think Jews are just white people with a different religion. We've heard Malcolm X talk about it. We've heard all of these fucking Negroes, uh, uh, the black Hebrew Israelites. There's just white people who stole our religion, right? So this goes hand in hand with, the with uh, you know, uh, deflecting these niggers, right? Um, coming yep. out with the fact that, you know, um, these non-practicing Jews, or like secular Jews, there's the word, I'm, these secular Jews are actually just white liberals. They're not Jewish. Yeah. Well, look, they're going to try to go with that. And it's going to work on a certain percentage of people. But let's be honest here. Those secular Jews are allowed citizenship in the Jew ethnostate. And Ben Shapiro supports that. Yep. Ben Shapiro is a Jew nationalist. He does not make any sort of... Uh, uh, um, he does not draw any walls around people who do not believe certain things. It is about whether you are born as a Jew, whether you can pass a DNA test that proves that you are a Jew. That is what he believes should be the citizenship for the state of Israel, the racial state for Jews, which he supports, and he supports it because of that. And he's made many statements, you know, explicitly to that effect. So, yeah, no, he thinks they're Jews. He knows they're Jews. And he knows they're acting as Jews when they act, you know, when they do these anti-white Shit, you know, when when they fuck over, when Kanye West gets fucked over by Jews, it's not just anti-white. Yes, they are in those positions because they're essentially acting as a mafia in the the music industry. And they're all working together as Jews. And they are fucking him over as Jews. And they're promoting things and 
in fairness to Kanye West, now again, I'm, I'm looking at this from a distance, right? I don't want to be a part of this trash fire. And I'm not going to vouch for everything he says because he does a lot of really dumb shit. But one of the things he pointed out is like, well, you got all these Jews running, running these the music industry. And they're promoting shit for black people like drinking um, Lyft. It's, I can't remember the name of the, essentially just horrible uh, drugs. Lean. Or, it's coding lean, coffee. There we go, yeah. right? And uh, promoting a lifestyle that's just awful, terrible, um, in well, many ways, extremely violent, extremely, you know, trying to turn people into drug addicts. I, and, and they're, and he, you know, they're doing that as Jews, right? Well, I actually, I, I've pushed back on this a bunch, um, and I've showed examples of this. I actually don't blame Jews for the degeneracy and violence of Negro culture because that's just who they are, right? I've showed, I have showed videos from the 1950s of nigger gangs bragging about being middle class and still starting gangs. I have played Lucille Bogan from the 1920s talking about sucking her pussy, pussy dry and all this weird shit. I do not blame right. Jews for the the decadence or whatever the fuck it's called, the, the, the degeneracy of Negroes. I do blame them for popularizing it, right? And yeah, sending it out exactly over the airwaves. It. But, they, but they the niggers are going to do that. Niggers are going to do that regardless, right? Whether they got well, the Jew me, or me, not. Yes, yes, but let me put you this way. Okay, there's always going to be faggots. Who is it who will, is, in, is responsible for kicking you off and debanking you, you know, if you criticize them too much? Well, it's the same people who are in the music industry, right? So... Yes, there will always be these absolutely worthless, uh, you know, waste of carbon and blacks. But why are they given a voice? Who is giving them a voice? Who right. is who is putting them on um, yeah. television? Who is making them uh, multimillionaires? Because as we've seen with Kanye West, they can make you a billionaire and they can make you a millionaire, you know, right at the end of it. And they can take away your Apple Pay, so you essentially, you know, don't have a way to go around town and buy things. So you figure out a, a solution to that. You know, they can yeah, Jews platform, Jews platform, this this garbage. Uh, just to add a little bit to the frame that John's presenting in this new sort of well, like I, in before the, the, this this white uh, like Jews being uh, secular Jews being just like white liberals and that being like a group that that acts sort of against the interest of uh, right wingers or or normal uh, you know north americans or white people um it, it really what it ends up being is an in before on the the concept like the very salient rhetoric the concept of 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 the kosher sandwich and yeah, so you, exactly. you 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 were, you were alluding to like the the sort of the nature of the jew and sort of how they um like the the, the very right-wing jew the zionist jew um sort of doesn't agree with the behavior of of the secular jew um but regardless of their politics and their their um their adherence to Judaism as a religion and, 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 and uh, Ben Shapiro toggles back and forth, right. Between like the racial uh, Jew and the, the, the religious Jew, uh, depending yeah. on like what kind of rhetoric he needs to use, who he's arguing with. Um, and so th what they, the, the kosher sandwich really is their, their, their natural state. Right. And, and you know this because um, Orthodox Jews who are the most um, radical adherents to Judaism are politically left and anti-Zionist, right? They believe that they should exist in the states, in the, in the nations of of whites, and that they are like the permanent nomads of the world. So you know, well, that, it, it, it really it really fails on its face. Hey, hey guys, let that's me cut you off. Let me cut you off real quick. I just gotta uh, 
big donation. I want to say uh, they call me perp. Thank you very much for that, bro. He says I'm pissed that I missed the first half. Yo, I was driving through Atlanta. Holy shit! <laughs> Don't stop. So I was going oh, yeah. to have a heart attack, get robbed, offered a job by one of these giant, gigantic kike temples on the city skyline. You're a real one, Fastcroft. Hail victory. Hail to you, brother. Be careful and get the fuck out of Atlanta. Uh, also from Thor's Ruin, this one is for is for you, brother Tim. He says you're doing great work, Rake. Thank you, Fastcroft, for hosting this great discussion. Hail, hails from SoCal. Uh, so yes. yeah, I really enjoy your. Everybody really enjoys your your work over there, man. It is great work. Uh, he sent that in twice, so thank you very much. Uh, but yeah, man. Um, so let's go ahead and let's watch a little. I'm sorry, uh, Tim. I cut you off, brother. You want to finish well, what you were saying? My hold bad. Hold on, I just I gotta push back on this too. So. Well, a little bit. So some Orthodox Jews don't support Israel, but that's a very minority position. That's extremely, do, yeah, that's extremely support, Orthodox, yeah. They also support anti-white shit here. They support flooding yes. Europe unanimously with yes. refugees, right? Whereas they're still Jew nationalists, and they don't support that in their... They support building a border wall to keep out, you know, migrants, right? And I'll also say that, you know, okay, this white liberal shit now, I'm preaching to the choir, we all know this is bullshit, but... Okay, let's take Harvey Weinstein as a white liberal. So he's got the Mossad on speed dial. How many white liberals have the Mossad on speed dial? And why, why doesn't this white liberal, who's a real leftist, right? You know, he's a total bleeding heart. You know, I love minorities and brown people. So when's he going to make movies about Palestinians? When's, when, when's this white liberal? When are these white liberals who are in charge of things uh, going to stop Google from censoring people who are, you know, speaking out against the, frankly, genocide of the, those Palestinian goyim? in Israel, in occupied uh, Palestine. But when are these white liberals going to do that? I mean, again, I'm speaking to the choir here, but the the premise is, is so uh, stupid and annoying. Like, it's just really dumb. Yeah. It's just designed to trip you up yes. and to make you think that these people who are working together racially are actually just on totally different sides of, you know, a very real debate that you have a say in. Yeah, if the kosher sandwich concept gets popularized, like if this becomes mainstream rhetoric, this is literally an in before. It's part of what they're trying to do with this gay op is to is to present the type of rhetoric that is going to be available to normal people so that when you come and you explain these types of things to them, they have a preset concept around around rejecting it. Um, because and the reason for that is is because we have salient answers. We have the answers to the questions that the public needs to be able to put yeah. together what well, the fuck is going that. on. More people know than you think. Like, let's go back to what uh, John said earlier. We said, okay, you know, I, I, I knew that racists were true, but what they said about black people, well, you know what? Everyone knows that. Like, I'm going to push back on this. Like, Mike has this great point. You know, you prove to me that you really don't think black people are stupid. Like, I don't need to use race char IQ charts and all that. You know the people responsible for world star hip-hop are not as intelligent as white people. And yeah. everyone knows this. I actually you know agree. You know the Jews run Hollywood. Like, you know that. The people who pretend otherwise know that. They know that Jews run it racially. So. Yeah. I've you know, said that. Some extent, go ahead. Yeah. Well, to some extent, there might be some people who don't know. But let's be honest here. There's a lot of just people don't want to take up the position that gets you punished. You know, people, the more people know than are willing to lose their YouTube channels and bank accounts for. Yeah, and I yeah. mean the idea well, that this is actually going to like bring anti-Semitism to blacks is kind of builds on the same concept that you're talking about because blacks are inherently racist, right? They already know about the Jew. Like most black people know Jews are bad, but again, I disagree. Like, I think they think Jews are white people, bro. 
Well, that's it. So they, they also they love don't the see them as white, Jews. So they, they don't, don't see, yeah, they yeah. don't differentiate. So this serves yeah. that purpose, right? It allows to obfuscate and keep them in the same category where we are, where if you actually explain the rhetoric of the kosher sandwich, what you're explaining is how they're not part of our um, sort of sort of culture, right? And they're not white, right? And so Gavin yeah. McInnes, with his with what he's saying here, and we'll show it, it, it's it's really insidious. Like it's, it's And he knows better. Like I, I know for a fact that he knows better, and I, I guess it's obvious to most people, but... Um, you know, like I know guys from my town who grew up with him who know what he knows personally. So they know that this this is this is like it's a show, right? It's 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 very much fake, like very deeply fake. He doesn't truly believe these things at all. He knows the truth. Let's play Not it and Jordan I'll, Peterson. Yeah, let's play it and I'll I'll have my comments. Uh real quick, I had something I wanted to say. Where was it? Uh oh yeah, for you, Akila. Um the only Jews who are anti like the state of Israel are extreme like uh orthodox cults like Lev Tahor and shit, right? That yeah, is yeah, not the, the that is not the ringlets. Yeah, that like is that not like a, a thing. Yeah. And yeah, also that's what I mean when I'm referring to Orthodox Jews. Yeah. And also like on the on the thing of, of right of return and, and racial Jews, um we know that Jews are racial before they are religious because you cannot no black Hebrew Israelite is allowed right of return. Right. No, no black, no black, no, no nigger that's actually converted to like official Judaism is going to be allowed right of turn. None of these British Jews, these British people that convert to Judaism, no white person from America that converts to Judaism is going to be granted right of return. That's how you know right there that it's a racial situation. Yeah, here we go. I had something else, but I forgot what it is. We'll play this now. Let me make sure I got everything where it needs to be. I think you were going to talk about the blacks believing that all Jews are, are like knowing about Jews. No, it, I just said that they think they're white. No, there was something else around them, but I fucking forgot. It's no big deal. There we'll just watch this. Yeah. Let's play the clip. Yeah. This is, I'm going to have an intervention here for you and Nick, and let me just make a case. Yes, there are uh, almost 80 to 90 percent of Hollywood is Jewish, probably more. Um, media, yeah, I'm going to say like 80 percent of media is Jewish, but I see the Jews we're talking about in these cases as liberal elites, high IQ people, whites and when you have like they, they're disproportionately represented in medicine too because they have high iqs so the problem is that's something else he keeps doing there that they're disproportionately disproportionately represented in in, in medicine and one of his own guys some proud boy dude tore his ass apart have you guys seen that video no i never have yeah so there's some proud boy that tore gavin's ass apart and i'm sure he's probably been kicked out of uh the proud boys now but Gavin keeps doing this. Oh, Jews are also disproportionately represented in medicine. And the guy goes on. He's like, yeah, they are. And now opioid fucking deaths are through the roof. Fucking doctors are cutting kids' dicks off, right? And he starts naming all these things. You know, it's like the uh, third leading cause of death in the fucking America is medical malpractice, right? He's like, yeah, they are overrepresented. And and the fucking medical industry is fucking tanking for it. Yeah, the the other part of this that 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 we've addressed in the past is uh, we showed the the leather apron club video de- uh, debunking Jewish up. IQ, right? Yeah. So it's not true, right? It's 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 based on a bunch of bad science, and and they've been pushing this for like a long time, and it is literal bullshit. That, like, there's more 130 plus IQ uh, whites in America than there are total Jews. So if yeah. the, if it was if it was properly um, you know proportionally represented, there would be no Jews in any of these professions. 
Listen to these, these Jews, that, and most of them are secular Jews, atheists. I don't see Soros as Jewish. So we have these secular, <laughs> mostly atheist Jewish people with high IQs who dominate. He doesn't see George Soros as Jewish. Fields that tend to require high IQs. They're, they're overrepresented in chess and mathematics, too. So the real issue here, and there is an ethnomasochism, there is some sort of like, let's burn it to the ground. But I think that trait is a white trait, a liberal elite white trait. Oh, not even white per se, a liberal elite trait. Kamala Harris, Barack Obama, they also have these traits. And there's some sort of like lemming DNA. What? Yeah, he's he's literally doing the ideas argument, right? That this Kamala is... Harris has these. <laughs> yeah, explain yeah. Me, please it's, please explain to yes, exactly, Tim. Explain to me, please, how the fucking virulent negress Kamala Harris is an ethnomasochist. The yeah, fuck she's out literally blacker than she is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It's really crazy. He really outs himself here because he goes on to to like criticize Scottish people and, and like white people in general as like 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 you know self hating and like he's a Scot, you know like like he's he's doing the thing like he's doing the thing like while he speaks that he's describing of like self immolation like like I hate myself, you know he's he's demonstrating yeah. that he hates himself while he's saying white people hate themselves. Well, so it's, it's, it's because he's on the casting coach. Yeah, you know he's he's on he's on the rhetorical casting coach. He's trying to get back in with Jews however way he can. And this is this was his ticket, right? He's going to go there. He's going to get. He's going to be the Kanye tamer. We've seen a whole bunch of these guys. Pierre Morgan got kicked out of something about you know I don't know exactly what happened to him, right? He, he was on the outs. He tries to to tame Kanye West. Then it was um, Alex Jones, but there was someone even in between, right? Like. So okay, now we're down to Milo. Maybe Mrs. Milo's shot. He's going to be the biggest butt guy possible. So, you know, he has to know. It's like you said. You, you know, guys from his hometown, and they know that he knows everything. But I know he knows everything just because by the virtue of what he's saying. Like yes, you know, you have to know certain things to know not to accidentally speak the truth. Yeah. Let's see what else we got here. In white people, where when they reach a certain amount of success, they just want to take it off a cliff. And I don't like when Jews get pulled into that because when I think of... <laughs> he doesn't like it when Jews get pulled in. <laughs> he doesn't like it when Jews get pulled into white people's ethnomasochism. This motherfucker, he should be flogged. He should be flogged. Keep playing, keep playing. Uh, my ortho make a point. Yep. Jewish friends and, and even my Hasidic friends... It, these people are conservative, Trump-supporting, you know, American <laughs> patriots, and the okay, Jews that are that, getting lumped in with. Uh... So he's he's racially attacking white people. Yes. Yep. Then he says, "But I don't like when Jews get pulled into this. Why don't you like it when Jews get pulled into it? Like, is there something special about Jews that Jews are just above criticism? I guess what he's doing is he's pretending that he's doing the whole left-wing Jews aren't real Jews thing, right? But so that's kind of his way out." But even when he says, you know, Trump supporting, well, Ben Shapiro was a never Trumper. Ben Shapiro was defended, by the way, by the so-called left wing ADL in 2016 because he was bitching because too many people were essentially calling him a Jew, being uppity goys on Twitter back when we could still do that. And he was whining to the ADL who was defending him. Right. And he quit the Internet for a year and he was a never Trumper. He quit the Internet for a year. And only came back after tons of censorship by the, quote, left wing, you know, the left winger, those those white liberals. <laughs> yeah, the white. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Those white liberals. Yeah. 
you know, it's, it's amazing. He, he's literally saying that these people are ethnomasochists. They're, they're, these are Jews censoring on behalf of Jews. And they're censoring on behalf of right-wing Jews. So, like, <laughs> again, I don't want to beat the horse, but... <laughs> no, it needs so, to be beat. It's so ridiculous. It's on, insidious. Every, every premise he has is bullshit. Yeah. yeah it's, it's ludicrous in, on its face. Yeah, it's it's absolutely it's fucking incredibly insidious what he's doing yeah, there, and, man. I mean, he was at the top of his success personally when he was behind the Proud Boys, and and uh, he had kind of just left Vice, and he had kind of like taken a, a somewhat of a political stand against leftism and in the favor of of white collectivity without being terribly explicit. And then and then when he was at that peak, he decided to shove a dildo in his ass on the air, right? So yeah. don't talk about who's who's trying to burn themselves down, Gavin. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this sort of ethnomasochistic cultural suicide tend not really to be Jewish. I call them ginos, Jews in name only. It's liberally <laughs> right to show a Yeah, I hadn't heard that part. Ginos, no, Jews in name is, only. I, I heard all of this because CRS went through this all. It's still funny the second time you hear it because it's just so absurd. Jews in name only. I mean, these these Jews in name only donated the ADL. Harvey Weinstein, this white liberal Jew in name only, he's got Mossad agents at his beck and call. Like, get the fuck out of here, Gavin. Gyro, Jews in race only would be a better way to put it, right? If they're not yeah, pra- yeah. if they're not practicing, uh, you know, Kabbalah or whatever these fucking evil Jews practice, gyros, Jews in race only, and that's the more accurate uh, description of Jews. Uh, anyway, because Jews act on this is what I was saying about the E. Michael Jones thing. Jews act on a racial basis first. They act collectively as a race before they act collectively as a religion. 100 fucking percent. Yeah, their religion is really just a technology and politics is just a technology for them to push forward their racial interest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but I love them. I would argue the main, the main religion of Jews is the Holocaust anyway. Like, okay, there's this stuff written thousands of years ago. But the true belief they have, and, you know, the religion is belief without evidence. The true belief they have is that they are the biggest victims ever because the people that they refer to as subhuman goy cattle and say exist to serve them, you know, they murdered six million of them by hooking them up to lampshades or, or hooking them up to masturbation machines and insecticiding them into lampshades and yada yada. And go and tell one of these atheist liberal Jews that the lampshade cost never happened and you will find yourself with a, a religious zealot on your hand. Yes. Yeah, like a violently fucking vitriolic zealot, 100%. Yeah, yeah. and again, it's not it's not genocides are bad, because they'll happily deny other genocides that happened. I mean, Bibi Netanyahu is a famous denier of the Armenian genocide, and certainly any ones that are committed by Jews. So it is still a racial ethos that is their religion. It's just not the specific one that was written by Jews 7,000 years ago. Yeah, and they've transferred this, you know, they've transferred it. So this this is the relationship now, if you're, if you're talking about any kind of relationship between white liberals and, and, and Jews at all, it is on that basis. that you, you, You'll you get the religious zealotry from a white liberal quite often if you do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Did you yeah, guys... Exactly. But, but they get it from Jews, right? That's the they do, yeah, yeah, of course. Did you guys uh, have anything else on the Kanye Gavin video? You want to watch more of that, or are you good with it? I mean... Uh... I alternate with Gavin between laughing at what he says and being really angry at how much of a fucking shill he is. Yeah, because, I think we could do two hours breaking that thing down for sure. Yeah, because I think 
Go ahead. The Alex Jones thing, sorry to interrupt. The Alex Jones thing no, was so go. funny because Jones kept trying to chill. And he would literally, you know, be, George Soros is a Nazi. And he was setting up Kanye for these questions where he's like, Kanye, look, I mean, you only appreciate the Nazis on an aesthetic basis, right? Like the outfits and the kids and Kanye did. There's a lot of things that I love about Adolf Hitler. You know, like, <laughs> <Jesus> <laughs> so that's why it was so funny. Whereas with McInnes, the interview I've seen it right, it's just not it's not quite as as good because he's he's doing a different bit that's less less. Funny yeah, it's for right it's now. for a different audience. The 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 Alex Jones bit was a bunch of of, of rhetoric rhetorical in before that was sort of being presented to the like tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist boomer, the QAnon type. The and Q&A this is really good. for like me, like white like like the people he's talking about, like white liberals and and the the centrists and. And, and uh, you know the people that might you know kind of watch Gavin McInnes, so yeah, it's for his audience, yeah, exactly. right? It's, it's exactly. for each it's, audience. It's a different audience. Yeah. Well, yeah. And this right here is someone with a far bigger audience, uh, pushing the same kind. Of, they do it a little bit in a in a more coy way here on the Joe Rogan show. But here's Joe Rogan with his Jewish uh, buddy Ari Shafir. Uh, Let's remember this is the biggest audience. Joe Rogan, Rogan has the biggest show. In the world, I was about to say, arguably yeah. anywhere out of anything, he yeah. has the biggest show in the world, 100%. Yeah. And here they do the same thing. They go and we'll, we'll just play it. I don't want to ruin it. We'll play it and then we'll talk about it. Here we go. Yeah, about Ukraine, slope. you're gone. Would you say about this? Get out of here. Yeah, yeah he was the first one. Thing. They took away his ability to make a living. <clears throat> oh, yeah. They, he was they? super popular, man. <laughs> These cryptos <laughs> out of walked out on. Well, isn't he Jewish? <laughs> the fuck are you at? Milo? Yeah. Is he? No, Greek. Yeah, he's a big Greek. I he was Jewish. Big Greek he's gay. married to a black. No. He's not Jewish. He's Greek. He's married to a black. He can't. Look, Ari's. <laughs> Ari, look, the Jew let the mask slip. Did you hear that? He's like, wait, no, he's not Jewish. He's married to a nigger. He can't be a Jew and be married to a nigger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he no, fucked he, up. Or, or at, least, at least he'd have to be more Jew. Like, he'd have uh, to be real from Israel type, you know. Yeah, and we all know, like, Yiannopoulos' mother is, is a Jew. Milo Yiannopoulos is a Jew. No, he's Roman Catholic. I, I actually, I'll, I'll push back on that. No, he is a Jew, yes, but he's not that Jew. Like he's he's maybe a quarter or something like that. Like Milo said, he was a Jew because he knew. It's so funny; these people all know. He knew he would get he would go further. Like he gets things for being a Jew, not a religious Jew, because he's never been one of those, but a racial Jew. Like he he would say for years and years, "I am a Jew. I'm a Jew." Right? And he even he doesn't look very Jew, to be honest. He look he looks just like a. Looks like a white guy. Looks he does. He, he look does look Greek. like a white guy. Like but his Nordic mother. My understanding is that his mother is a, is a Jew, hundred percent Jew. Hundred percent, really? Are we sure? That that's it's my understanding. I I, I couldn't source that. I, I, I have had even on the Dave Rubin show. He was on. Milo was on, and Milo and Dave Rubin was doing the whole. I'm not really sure that you're a Jew type thing. You know, it wasn't a big deal. But it's not just Eric Schaffer. Like I do myself have questions about. The you know give me the DNA DNA test for Milo because I think that he was exaggerating some whatever little amount of, of Jew DNA he has to get the racial privilege that you get from being a Jew. But in and of itself, that disproves everything Gavin was saying, right? Like, why would someone lie? Why would someone exaggerate how much of a Jew they are? Yeah, I wouldn't racially, put it past yeah, him, that's for racially, sure. yeah, racially, yeah, and, and racially, not religiously. 
and I, I'll say this, like, no matter how, like, even if he's, like, only 10% Jew, like, uh, that the, that 10% of Jew showed through 100% in his character traits, right? He behaves like the quintessential skeevy, untrustworthy fucking kike, dude. He's a scumbag. Let's be honest. Yes, but he also dis- he also behaves like the skeevy, untrustworthy homo. Yeah, faggot, yeah. Know for sure he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even Christian, born again Hebron. We know uh, that, is, that is the fakest shit ever, you know. Yeah, well, it's a- Suddenly stop being gay. Yeah, in, in true Sabbatean Frankist style, man, he quits his sexual degeneracy and joins the Catholic Church, man, just like Jacob Frank. Oh, I, I man. Talk- Mock man. <coughs> no, 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 no. He prayed. He's was he Christian? He might be a part of He wasn't Jewish? Jewish. Uh, okay, well, he's everything they should love. But he's, he's his... <laughs> Like he was, uh, it was an amazing place to be. To be a gay conservative who's a witty guy, no, who's I, very funny, yeah. and very well read. Are we talking Tim Dillon? <laughs> talking about Tim Dillon? Yes. Yeah, so there's that. I got one more uh, timestamp here. Uh, but there, yeah. There's, you know, I just wanted to show that that they're even over there on the Joe Rogan show, uh, trying to do the "you're not Jewish if you don't practice Judaism like religiously" thing. Even yeah, and this the- Ari Shafir character is a very subversive dude. He's got a whole special called Jew, where he kind of like, you know. Like like lightly mocks Jews and and then goes like you know to to sort of show that he's he's uh you know he's a fun guy and Jews aren't 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 too serious you know and we can we can make fun of ourselves and this and that and goes on to make fun of whites very deeply and yeah he's he's a very subversive fucking kite. right right make it it's not like it's expensive to make do you uh, just say, you just say I, don't, I mean I don't know I mean but it's he's expensive to make but it's not like you can't sell it and make a profit is yeah my point. yeah. Like Diaz said, the only people reason people overdose is because of the cut. Because in the pure days, nobody yeah. OD'd on it. Really? That's what he says. And he's more of an expert than I am. Mm. Fat cokehead. He knows things. Exactly. But it's one of those things where you're telling me I can have whiskey, but you're telling me I can't have pot. You're telling me, you know, and then, well, pot, we're going to legalize pot. What about mushrooms? Oh, we're not ready for that yet. That's Who coming. are you? Who uh, are you? Yeah. Who the fuck are you? Just I'm do 55 it. years old. Who was some other man my age to tell me what I can and can't do? Shut the yeah. fuck up, yeah, dude. Yeah, it's America, dude. Let's go. I'm a, I pay my taxes, bitch. I'm a good citizen. <laughs> fuck off. Is. This is nonsense. That's what it is right there. That's what it means to be American. That's what I want to talk about. That's what it means to be American to these motherfuckers. And the guy with the biggest fucking platform in the world to, to uh, you know, Young to middle-aged white men, right, between the ages of, like, 18 and 40, right? The guy who has the biggest platform t- is telling them. That's what it means to be an American. Hey, I pay my taxes, bitch, so I can butt fuck and do drugs and be a sexual deviant and be a fucking absolute scourge on society because that's what it means to be American. I pay my fucking taxes, and you can't tell me yeah. shit, bitch. These fucking people are disgusting, man. These fucking people are disgusting. But we do have one more thing before we get to break. This is something Brother Akila brought to us. I haven't had a chance to watch this yet, but I am interested to see it. The Jordan Peterson bit, uh, Brother Akila. Let me get that pulled up. This, and, uh, this may be long, John. I don't know if you want to take break before, but this the the it depends how much time we want to put into it because this thing is like it's wild to watch. And if we spent that much time on Gavin, I don't know how much time we're going to end up spending on this. Well, but we'll you just it off and see. yeah, we'll see how it goes. If we need to carry it on through the break, we'll go another fifteen twenty before break. Sounds good. And then if we need to kick it, bring it back up on the other side, we will. Why should you use Miro? Hold on, well, hold on just a second. Let me get this thing out of the way. And the timestamp is 56. All right. 
Yeah, 56-15 is a good one. Basically, the first half hour of this, first 40 minutes is, is just wild. I haven't seen any of this. All right, so here we go. Do we got it up on the screen? Let's get it up here on the screen. Oh. All right, let's see what old fucking this fucking BB about is the combination of economic, military, and diplomatic strength. I call it the, the three pillars of peace. We'll be right back with Prime Minister-elect Benjamin Netanyahu. First, we wanted to give you a sneak peek at Jordan's new series, Exodus. We're going to have to get through this. Oh, yeah, I can do this. Never this mind. is it. Oh, this is it? You don't get away with anything. And so you might think you can bend the fabric of reality and that you can treat people instrumentally and that you can bow to the tyrant and violate your conscience without cost. You will pay the piper. It's going to call you out of that slavery into freedom, even if that pulls you into the desert. Ostent- ostentatious pseudo intellectual I've ever met in my entire life. Sophist, you know, like he. There's so many. The whole thing he did. Oh, and the, and the myths of, of all great myths of the, a dragon, a treasure, and and, and a key. And, and he, he just so many fucking words come and out of this more. guy's mouth, and it's so melodramatic, and it means nothing. It means nothing, dude. It means absolutely nothing. And Moses at the bush, you know, and, and the fire consumed him. And that's what the fire was there to do was consume and not burn off the soot. And yeah, just a bunch the of... Dragon, just... the, the, the dragon from Moses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, an absolute Such sophist. A... Dude. You, have, you nailed it, John. Well, and then he says here, and he says... No, and then he says here, and he has the fucking nerve to say, oh, and when you confront that, it'll drag you down into the deep depths. Yeah, like your fucking goddamn pill addiction. Jordan, you're fucked like you. This guy's calling himself the self, the self-styled savior, and the guy who provides guidance to, uh, you know, men aged eighteen to thirty-five who are struggling with modern society. And this guy is such a fraud. You know, he had to be hospitalized in Russia because he was such an addict that the U.S. you know uh, uh, rehab centers weren't doing it for him because <laughs> he was addicted to benzos. Yeah, he's just flying time, on Xanax. Story. He did a story once where he. He didn't sleep for a month. He said he was just terrified all the time. He got no sleep for an entire month. <laughs> and he traced it back to he ate a piece of toast. And I'm like, uh, he ate a piece of toast and he was terrified for an entire month and got no sleep. Like, this is the guy who's telling you how to get your shit together. And <laughs> yeah. even the clean your room thing. Like, there's that that famous video of him doing a live stream or, or still image of him doing a live stream. And his... The room he's in is like I, you know, it's worse than the typical college student. It's a lot worse than the typical college, you know, dorm student, absolute mess, first time living on their own type shit. Yeah, it's literally literally what this guy's doing is talking to himself. <laughs> all of these, all this advice he's giving everybody else, <laughs> he's really just saying it to himself. He's recording himself talking to himself and then fucking like, yeah, he's an absolute fucking lunatic, dude. Holy shit. Yeah. And we're going to see that there's something else going on here that is far more cosmic and deeper than what you can imagine. The highest ethical spirit to which we're being. Look at even look at even how he talks. I mean, he is just such a pretentious faggot. You know what I mean? Yeah, just no. Everything about him makes you want to punch Sorry, him in his second. fucking face, dude. Such a fucking pretentious faggot. He really. He's absolute He's like the sophists who are paid to argue any position. Right, and so that's 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 what he is. He's a modern 
sophist. He's a he's a, a paid shill, right? We, we this is clear, but. Beholden is presented precisely as that spirit that allies itself with the cause of freedom against tyranny. And yes, there exactly. Is that hope. I want villains oh, to get punished. But do you want the villains to learn? What's up, brother? I didn't. I didn't expect that as Prager. I missed him. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, But of you... course, of course, I should have expected him. Why yeah. not? Before they have to pay the ultimate price. That's such a Christian question. <laughs> you can roll that back, John. Oh just to hear. my God. Yeah. Just, just a few seconds to hear That's that exchange. That's such a Christian question, says the pudgy Jew, as he chuckles to himself, you know, that he's pulling one off on the goyim. As he chuckles to himself about punishing Christians, right? Listen to what he yes. says here. <laughs> Holy shit. Spirit to which we're beholden is presented precisely as that spirit that allies itself with the cause of freedom against tyranny. And yes, there exactly. Is that hope. I want villains to get punished. But do you want I, I, the villains to learn before they have to pay the ultimate price? That's such a Christian question. <laughs> <laughs> and he names it Exodus. Jesus. Right. Yeah. So, so the, you know, the implication there, you know, around the Christian thing, and he laughs at, at, at Jordan Peterson, uh, you know, asking him if, if villains should learn, if they should learn a lesson, if they should be given an opportunity and and it, he pre-exposes himself very deeply there, and and so like these, you know these these Jews, this level of Jew, Dennis Prager, like this is a bloodthirsty Jew. He wants to to eliminate the enemy. He wants, just wants to kill people, right? Um, and he he'd rather do that. And and so like you know with with the state behind him, a person like that is going to scale their politics down to the level of the individual. So so people like like us ultimately who live our lives as dissidents are at risk of this type of retribution from a bloodthirsty Jew like Dennis Prager. And this is pervasive in the Jews that hold power in government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent, man. But yeah. And still, by I mean, Jordan, Jordan Peterson, just the whole image, it's just, and also he's just such a ridiculous figure. I mean, come on. He is. He's an exercise in absurdity. And also guys, don't forget that Dennis Prager is also, uh, Candace Owens. Kanye's best friend is Candace Owens' handler. That's her Jewish handler, Dennis Prager. She got fired, so she she got fired by him uh, when she pushed back against something that he said to her on Twitter. And now oh, did she? I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. So she, she's she has been. been she, he was Shapiro. her handler she's now. By ben Shapiro, right? Yeah, now it's Ben Shapiro. Could you walk us through? What you did on the economic front, I, I have two questions there. What did you do on the economic front to move Israel? Is that the only time slot? You, uh, times uh, that was the only timestamp I gave you. But so maybe when we come back from break, what we could do is just roll it back to the beginning, skip the sort of intro, and just kind of go through maybe the first like however long you want to go, thirty minutes or whatever, or or you know before we go to break as you wish. But um, yeah, it, it's he, he's talking about the right of Israel to exist. So he's kind of uh, seemingly grilling Netanyahu, trying to get Netanyahu to justify the existence of Israel and the arguments that support its existence. And I mean, from our frame, you're going to see the level of egregiousness in in, in Netanyahu's uh, arguments and 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 the, the how disingenuous they are com- as compared to like what they the 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 the, the, um, the frames that they put on white people, right? Like so. They're, they're saying that that pa- Palestinians are the co- colonialists, that the Arabs are the colonialists, right? And then and then so so we yeah. are also colonialists. Anyways, it, it, it we'll we'll take it step by step here, I guess. 
All right, guys, we are going to go to break. I have to use the bathroom. We have to go to break right now. We're going to go to break. Uh, we got a thing for Robert J. Matthews, and on the other side of the break, we are going to have a, a tribute to Robert J. Matthews before we leave tonight because that man deserves it. Hail Robert J. Matthews. Hail to all you guys for being here. We will be right back. Fuck it up. 
wish to remember and honor those who have came before us, who dedicated their lives to the cause of our people. back i hope y'all enjoyed the break hail to robert j matthews hail to fashion uh yeah i hope you guys enjoyed it man thank y'all for joining us guys we got you back right akila tim we got y'all back mm-hmm. yes, sir. all right guys real quick i want to read off these these few uh donations i missed uh before the break and then we'll get back into the jordan peterson thing uh return to champ thank you very much uh he says just when i think john can't top his last stream thank you very much brother uh, they call me purple. We're just going to skip that. Act like that didn't come through. Not even read that off, brother. <laughs> I'm fucking playing. They call me purple. Says half that don't owe us for you too, Akilah. Uh, don't let don't let that nigger Johnny get you out of $44. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. I owe, him, I owe him 22 already. It's all right. Nah, you don't owe me nothing. We're good, brother. All right. Uh, John he says, John, I gotta go piss now. Yeah, that's <laughs> I would have kept going and I wouldn't I would have done like the dark enlightenment thing where we didn't even take a break, but I had to pee so bad. Uh but anyways, guys, so we're gonna get back on into this Jordan Peterson thing. Uh Tim said he had some more he wanted to say on it. And uh so did you, Akila. Tim, do you want to lead out or do you wanna do your bit first or do you wanna play this for a minute? Oh, you can play it for a minute. I got a, I got a rant that's tangentially related. I'm always excited to talk to the guests that I'm talking to, which is why I bring them on the podcast to begin with. But today we have something that I think is unique. I'm going to be speaking with Benjamin Netanyahu, who is recently elected. (laughs) Just instantly. He can't go three seconds without being a total faggot. Benjamin. Benjamin. Get the fuck out of here, dude. Minister of Israel. Three seconds. This is a very interesting development as far as I'm concerned. It's the first time I've had the opportunity to speak with someone who is a sitting head of state or soon will be. And I think the reason that that's relevant and worthy of note is because it, it, it's one of the markers for the development of a new kind of political dialogue. We're in a situation now where it's possible to sit with a political leader and have a genuine conversation for a long period of time. We'll go at least 90 minutes unscripted so that there's no soundbite quality or editing to it. You just get the unvarnished, the Jesus. the unvarnished. Pause this for a BB. second. Oh my God! Is he ever like this? Is this is a scripted introduction? Now the conversation we know is more scripted than they let you believe, or they like you to believe. But sure, there's a little back and forth between the two. They're not reading out a script the entire time, right? But that introduction is scripted, and look how 
he, he can barely even say it. And he's also throwing out a whole bunch of things that are necessary. Like, you don't need to qualify, I'm sitting down with the head of state. And I think I need to explain to you why I think this is of note. Like, if you're sitting down with a world leader, that's a big deal. We don't need to be told that. And he's taking forever to get through, like... Sorry, I don't want to. I don't want to blow my wad right now. So I'll let you guys get through it. <laughs> no, but you're right. Like he, he's there's a uh, there's an actual term for it. I can't think right now. But he's just like meandering around the point, throwing in all of these extra words, trying to make it more lofty and like poetic than it actually fucking is. That's Jordan Peterson's bit, and it's fucking. I'm yeah, glad he, he could just get up there and say this. This is almost like verbatim what he could say. I'm he's so pleased to be introducing hard. the head of state or future head of state of the Israeli of the the Jew state. Benjamin Netanyahu. I think this marks a great uh, a turning point where we can have unfiltered access to world leaders. That's it. Should have said it just like that. Like it's 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 probably the least objectionable thing about the guy, but he is just. There's so many goddamn words, and he's for a guy who's constantly promoted. I'm surprised they couldn't have gotten a better speaker. My story, the newly reelected prime minister, tells the story of his family his people, his path to leadership, and his unceasing commitment to defending his country and securing... He's flying on Xanax right now. (laughs) Hello, Prime Minister Netanyahu. (laughs) Thank you very much for agreeing to talk to me tonight. I've been reading your book, your new book, Bibi, My Story, and uh, it weaves an interesting personal tale, familial tale, and political cultural tale all together. And there is one particular element of it I wanted to begin discussing with you that's, I think, of broad interest. One of the things I realized when I was reading was just how ignorant I am in some fundamental sense about... Yeah, that wouldn't be a bad idea, would it? It really is. I was so glad you had something to say a minute ago uh, because I was about to fall the fuck asleep. (laughs) Yeah, there's... He's such a fucking blowhard. There's there's a bunch of stuff in here that's a little bit like you know, it drags. Yeah, out. it's just like long-winded so stuff. Is bullshit. Well, actually, let, let me pause right here. So we'll do one point five soon when we return. But I'd like to point out, I never was able to find the quote. Now, Keela might know this more than me, but he explicitly said, "My number one goal, our number one goal, is preventing white men from going down the path of white nationalism." And now here he is. Now, first of all, he's surrounded by a bunch of Jew nationalists like Ben Shapiro, etc are explicit Jew nationalists, you know, Ben Shapiro said, uh, don't call it an ethnic cleansing, just call it population transfer, when referring to his plan to racially cleanse the Palestinians, etc. And here he is sitting down with Benjamin Netanyahu, and he's going to be praising him explicitly on essentially what is Jew nationalism, you know, Israel as a country for Jews. And yet he says his number one goal is preventing white nationalism. But yeah, that's he does right. A little bit of fake pro-white ac- ac- advocacy. So we'll play. Then I'll get to that after after a little more. Keith, did you have something you wanted to say, brother? What's up, no, Nazi that's dice? well said. That's uh, that's well put. The history of the development of the Jewish state of Israel, and I know that there's tremendous constant noise about issues as fundamental as Israel's right to exist, even. And you start by talking about in in, in your book. You embark on explaining that, at least in some part, by talking about Herzl. And his terror that anti-Semitism, that the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe... Theodore Herzl, isn't that the father of Zionism, correct? Yes. That's what I thought. Europe ...was going to cause a catastrophe, which was obviously a justified terror. Would you be kind enough to walk me and my viewers... And- I'm looking at the 
looking for something. Fuck me. Fuck you, YouTube. Yeah, I'm I'm retarded and still haven't done the ad blocker thing. Your rationale for the moral justification for Israel, the political justification as well, and I'm going to do what I can to, to my limited ability, let's say, to push back. I've heard the arguments of often young people who are more prone. Watch, to watching him in 1.5 speed makes him look like he's got Tourette's because of all the weird face fucking movements <laughs> and shit he does. To give credence and sympathy, say, to the Palestinian viewpoint. And I'd like to rectify my ignorance and maybe help my viewers and listeners do the same thing. So would it be useful to start with Herzl? Well, I'd actually, I'd start, uh, Herzl was what I call our modern Moses, but I'd actually start with the original <laughs> Moses. Uh, the Jewish people uh, have lived in the land of Israel, what is now the, the state of Israel, uh, have lived here and have been attached to this place for about 3,500 years, three and a half millennia. Now, for the first two millennia, roughly, of that time, uh, we were living in what is described in a text commonly known as the Bible. So the Bible describes how the Jewish people lived on this land, were attached to this land, fought off Conquerors sometimes were conquered, but stayed on their land. And that uh, continued uh, for a very long time until roughly the 6th, 7th century, actually, uh, after the birth of Christ, okay? For, for roughly for 2,000 years. Uh, we were conquered by the Romans. We were conquered by the Byzantines. They did a lot of bad things to us, but they didn't really exile us, contrary to what people think, okay? The, ones, uh, the, the loss of our land actually occurred when the Arab conquest took place in the 7th century. The Arabs burst out from Arabia, and they did something that no other conqueror, not the Romans, not the Byzantines. What's up, brother? No, no, just keep playing. I just, I just realized what, what type of Finkel think he's doing. Right now. Oh, yeah, I don't think I've ever been exposed to this, 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 uh, this gay up right here. I'm interested to hear where he's going with this. The Greeks before them, not Alexander the Great. Nobody did before. They actually started taking over the land of the Jewish farmer. They brought in military colonies that took over the land, and gradually over the next two centuries, the Jews became a minority in our land. So it is. Under the Arab conquest, that the Jews lost their homeland. The Arabs were the colonials. The Jews were the natives dispossessed. Well, that happens in history. The Jews were dispossessed. We were flung to the far corners of the earth, uh, suffered unimaginable suffering because we had no homeland. But we didn't disappear. And we never gave up the dream of coming back to our ancestral homeland. So generation after generation, the Jews could be in Warsaw. They could be in Yemen. They could be in, uh, they could be in China. And they said, next year in Jerusalem. We'll come back next year in Jerusalem. Well, that uh, was made possible because the Arabs... So he, he's openly admitting right there that the Jews culturally and for millennia have had a unified um, goal. No matter how far dispersed they've been, right? And it, it's not religious, it's racial. He, the, they have a racial tie to this land. And no matter how far they were, they were pushed out yes, exactly. of the land, they over, over, over thousands of years... Right, were able to maintain this narrative within their own communities, their own dispersed, displaced diaspora. So, when we say that um, Jewish people, um, you know, like worked into history their own, um, you know, their own interest and their like, like that they've, you know, we do, do the Jacob Frank thing and 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 all that. It's it, it's. It, it's it's salient based on what he's saying. He's admitting that the Jews have had this plan for you know thousands of years since they were pushed out of Israel. Yeah, yeah. He also says Jews were farmers, which you know press X to doubt. But maybe if if they had a society that was indeed only Jews, I guess they would need someone to make you know actually make the food. But mm, yeah, you see evidence of that who had conquered the land, basically left it. I've never heard this bit that the, that the Arabs ran them out of their land and all that shit. I, I never heard that shit. Uh, so I've never heard this little bit that he's doing here. 
yeah. it, it's fascinating Better. and it yeah it's it's very he it, you know we'll we'll reframe everything from our perspective as we go hopefully because he really exposes himself and he exposes Jews in general. They never made it their own. It was a barren land. It really had practically they never made land. it their own. And That's in the 19th century, the idea of coming back next year in Jerusalem became a reality. By the way, in part because of Christian Zionist support for the idea of the Great Return. The Jews came back in the 19th century to the land of Israel. Wait, 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 wait. Hold the fuck up. Is he doing, is he saying right here, let me see if I'm following what this fucking kike is saying right now. Is he saying that because the Arabs didn't build a, a significant uh, civilization, the Jews had the right to come take their land? Yes. He is, and it's also just not true. Like, but in the event that it was, they are it, literally stealing their houses. They're not just stealing their land. They are they, they are literally stealing their houses and then going and living in their houses yeah. they have built. Yeah, it gets For worse. Sure. So, it gets worse. It, it gets a lot worse. Trust me. And he stays with this. Um, yeah, it's, w w you'll see. The result of this return was that we started building farms, factories, places of employment. <laughs> Arabs from nearby countries started immigrating, and they now became, they call themselves Palestinians. They reconstructed history and said, we've been here for centuries. No, <laughs> they, they, they just made it up. They just made it up. Stop, stop, stop. They literally just said they were there for thousands of years. And then they decided so to call themselves saying, Palestinians. Hold on a second. He is saying simultaneously that these Arabs were there for thousands of years. They kicked out the Jews thousands of years ago. Now... Let's just let's just take him his word there. But now he's saying that they're lying when they say they were there for hundreds of years. Well, clearly they weren't. <laughs> they were there for thousands by your own story. Like it, the story doesn't even have an internal consistency. Well, he literally said that they reconstructed history. So like what what he alluded to before is that the Jews actually maintained their own internal narrative, which has become now the narrative of the world. Right. When in reality, it's them that have reconstructed history. Exactly. Um, so before you go again, John, I, I dropped you a couple, and you can use these if you want, or but it'd be nice to, to focus on this. But I, I dropped to you earlier um, a bunch of pictures of um, Palestine in the 1800s um, to put in evidence that they did indeed have a society there. Okay, let's let this play for a second. I'll see if I can yeah. grab them. We came back, made it our land, and we said, okay, we now we live together. We decided to establish a state in 1948. That's 75 years ago. And we, we said, everybody can live here. The Arabs said, there can't be a Jewish state. You have no right to be here. It's oh, our land. It's God, not your stop, land. It's stop. been our land for 30 years. But he just keeps lying constantly. So first of all, he's saying, we came back here and made it our land. And we said, everyone can live here. Literally not true. It, it, you have to be a Jew to immigrate into Israel. You had to be a Jew back then. Um, and Zionist terrorists are the ones who racially cleanse these Palestinian goyim from, you know, uh, their land, which is really, you know, who it belongs to. So it's already bullshit. Like, he's just lying again. And he's doing this thing where he's trying to have it both ways, where he's explicitly, make, he's explicitly missing, making the racial argument for Jews to own land collectively. But he's also ha trying to say that, no, 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 we just want everyone to live in Israel. Okay, so why do you care then? Like, it doesn't even make sense. If you want everyone to live in Israel, first of all, you wouldn't have a Jews-only immigration policy. But second of all, that doesn't make any sense. That's You already have that by living in a random country. Like, you could just live everywhere then. You don't need to have your own racial state if you want everyone to live in there. Like, he's just constantly lying. It does The things he's saying don't work even with themselves. But he just says it anyway. 
Yeah, and then yeah, it just blew my mind that he would sit there and say that, oh, they hadn't built a, a civilization yet, so it was right for us to come back and take the land and develop it. Like, nigger, that's literally the story of the United States of America and South Africa, and you guys continually <laughs> try to destroy those fucking places because yeah, of their it's history. Yeah, it's not true here, but it was true there. The fuck right. And these Jews here. are, you know, exactly. Yeah, so okay. he's making an ethical argument about their right to, to colonize another people. And, and that that doesn't transfer to us, right? And so as you state, like, if, if Jordan Peterson's um, most important role and, and his main goal is to keep whites from white collectivity and white nationalism, then, you know, it's it's very clear that he's on on this, on, on this you know, political and ethical uh, sort, of, sort of line of thought. And if you look back to the Dennis Prager statement, right, where he said, you know, where he, he, he basically, you know, exclaims his bloodthirstiness, Right, that he doesn't need his enemies to learn anything; he just wants to them to pay. Right, then, then you, we start to understand that that you know this is the nature of the, of the Zionist Jew and the nature of the power structure that we're living under in our own countries. Yeah. Anyway, play. I got one, one more big thing to say about this guy, but play the end of his speech. In five hundred years, if you took over your, uh, somebody's apartment. Knocked them out, dispossessed them, <laughs> and they never gave up the claim. They said, it's our claim. And you left this barren dump, okay? And this, the, uh, the, the uh, families, the progeny of the people you, you kicked out came back, rebuilt the house. You cannot come back and tell them, you don't belong here. We're going to kick you out, especially since you're latecomers who've come to live in, you know, in part of the house, which is what the so-called Palestinians are, okay? We say to them, you can live here, we can live here, but it's, it's our land, it's our state. And the reason this conflict continues is because the Palestinians, who represent the, the, the colonial powers, the Arab conquest uh, of uh, the Middle East and beyond, they're saying, well, you have no right for a Jewish state. Well, we do. If any people has any right to a state, if any people never gave up their dreams of returning to their ancestral home, if any people rebuilt their home from nothing, from barren, wasted land, it's the Jewish people. To tell them, you have suffered more than anyone else. You have never lost your dream of coming back and rebuilding your national life and your Tom? ancestral homeland. You have no right to be there. But the Arabs who are trying to destroy you, they have that right. That is a complete perversion of history and also a complete perversion of justice. The Jews belong to this land. This land belongs to the Jews. The Palestinians are free to live here next to us, among us, but they're not free to demand the dissolution of the Jewish state. That is not justice. That is injustice. That's the shortest lecture I can give you about Jewish history. Okay. In today's world, we some there, There's like so many lies that it's almost hard to respond to this because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, okay, first of all, Palestinians and, and the Goyim there did not build nothing. Okay, Palestine was a, was a real place. Like, People lived there. They had cities, you know, they had civilization. So this idea that, and, and second of all, he's making, he's making a Juden Peterstein and J Jordan Peterson. I have videos of him. I don't have videos of him saying my number one goal is to stop young men from going down the path of white nationalism. But I know he said that because I saw him say, it. but I do have a video of him explicitly talking about, you know, being against collectivism, saying collectivism was responsible for the murders of so many, so many people, you know, millions of people in the in the 20th century, and being against white nationalism explicitly. And look at this guy, this Jew, who is making explicit racial collective guilt arguments towards the Palestinians. He's saying, your ancestors stole this land from us. So it doesn't really matter. He's not really, he doesn't really care about them building stuff, because well, they were there. I mean, they lived there. The idea, like, how could they not, how could they have lived there if they didn't build at least farms on that area? Like, it, that's just total nonsense. So really what he's saying is this. He's saying, okay, let's just take him at his word and say the Arabs did steal that land from Jews and Jews had that land. Now, first of all, that's a racial collectivist claim. But 
if it's true, and you, you were one of those Palestinians, and you didn't do that, that was done thousands of years ago. But what he's saying is essentially you have like racial collectivist uh, sin. You stole the land from Jews, and those Jews are entitled to that land that you stole. And he's saying this to Jordan Peterson, and Jordan Peterson is not going to push back on the premise that Jews should collectively racially own the land. Despite no, the despite fact that he his, said he's made a number one mission yeah, to despite the fact that he's so against collectivism, right? Collectivism yeah. being the most evil thing possible. These mm -hmm. Jews are entitled to their thousands of years collectivist identity. And they're entitled to use that as a justification for their own col colonialism, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And, and then to then to use this left-wing colonial, you know, language is just, it's just so absurd. Essentially what he's saying, actually, actually, what he's even saying is this. He's saying if, uh, like, aboriginals were to murder all the white people, steal their land, well, that would be good because they're just fighting against colonialism. Like, it, it's just amazing how insidious everything he's saying is and it's just not true. No, that's right. But I do have to say one more thing about Jordan Peterson. Now. I don't think there's that much I can stand. This is a post Jordan Peterson made in January about anti-white racial discrimination in Canadian universities. I have to read this all out to you. Maybe if you want to navigate to it so the audience can see, it's on Daily Rake. And it's Juden Peterson. Juden Peterson gives evidence of extreme anti-white discrimination in academia. So if you want to go there, you know, you can go there now, but I'll just read it out to you. National Post. I recently resigned from my position as full tenure professor at the University of Toronto. First, my qualified and supremely trained heterosexual white male graduate students, and I've had many others, by the way, face a negligible chance of being offered university research positions despite stellar, stellar scientific dossiers. This is partly because of diversity, in inclusivity, and equity mandates. Uh, these have been imposed universally in academia, despite the fact that university hiring committees had already done everything reasonable for all the years of my career, and then some to ensure that no qualified minority candidates were ever overlooked. He goes into his piece to document with you know extreme and obvious proof the explicit anti-white agenda in academia and hiring you know who gets to move from who gets to be a phd candidate then who gets to of those who gets to you know be actually hired at a, at a university for exposition right and so he shows a racial attack on white people but he's yep. constantly running to the defense of Jews, and he's he's never running to the defense of white people. And he would tell any white person who actually says, I'm going to fight against this anti-white policy that has explicit real-world consequences in hiring that he himself has documented. He would say, well, it's just collectivism, and you're just a Nazi, and the problem is these people aren't individualists, and burr, 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 burr. Like, he's such a piece of shit. And then he has yeah. this Jew, this this disgusting, bloodthirsty Jew nationalist. He's pretending not to be, you know. Uh, yeah, that's right. He would, he would say that you could you could advocate for yourself, but only on the basis of an individual, right? If you go towards the white collectivity as, as your method to which you can advocate for yourself, if you advocate for yourself as a group along with other white males, he'll disavow you, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Right? Whereas but, he, he's fully ready to support this this sort of ethical claim, not only to um, to Israel of the Jews, but the right of the Jews to exist in our countries and and operate as a collective. Yes, yeah, and he, he he's going to push back. 
he's going to do some weak, easily debunked, easily stepped over pushback about how, well, aren't you being a bit mean to Palestinians? But he's not going to push back on the central claim the Jews should collectively own land and be allowed to keep others outside of the land that they collectively own. Uh, look, uh, it's been great, great show. I do actually have to step away. Someone's calling me in real life. Um, I, 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 I know we're near the end of the show anyway, so. Yeah, no, that's actually perfect timing because I'm about to take off on this Robert J. Matthews thing. Uh, brother, thank you very much for joining us, Tim. And please uh, hey. tell people where to find you and all that stuff before you leave. Well, it's just dailyrake.ca. So you can go to the site, dailyrake.ca. You can go to Twitter, Daily Rake. You can go to t- however long that lasts, probably not very long. Uh, you can go to Telegram, though. That's That's been going for a year now, uh, Daily Rake. You know, it's all just it's easy to find. I mean, again, dailyrake.ca, though. Yeah, we got it pinned in the chat, yeah. All right on, man. Awesome. Thank you very so, much for coming, brother. We really enjoyed hey, having you. It was great. I love I loved being on, so... Uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Later, brother. Absolutely. God bless you, man. Yeah, God bless you guys. All right. And the great Tim, man. What a great interview, man. What a great uh, guest to have on. Tim from yeah. The Daily Rate, guys. Definitely going really to be really fun to have Tim on, man. Um, Tim and I were, had the chance to sit down and have dinner. Um, and, uh, you know, this is this is a real one. You know, he's a, he's a Chad. He's a great athlete. Um, you know, and clearly a kind of the kind of person that can acquire skills very fast. He got very good at writing very quickly with it through his repetition. So, you know, uh, this is a kind of guy um, that you could you can count on to 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 represent white collectivity. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of him and I'm, I'm proud to have him up here. Uh, I'm proud to be able to get him on the show and, and have him have him do his thing. It's, yes, very exciting. So thanks. Thank you to Tim. Absolutely, guys. And all right, before we go, we have to get this done, man. Uh, we owe it to this man, a great white hero uh, from the Pacific Northwest. And I meant that's what I meant to say. We were talking about Idaho, and I meant to say, you know, Jews are really, really concerned about white collectivity in Idaho. That has been a hotbed for white collectivity for a long time up there in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, that is where the order that we're about to talk about right now, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if that's where it started, but it was up in that area. He was back and forth between uh, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, all up there in the Pacific Northwest. But uh, this dude, uh, I mean, this guy's dick drug the ground, man. He had huge balls, um, and he lived it, right? He lived it, man, and we're going to talk about him. I'm talking about the great Robert J. Matthews, born in Mafia, or what is this? Marfa. <laughs> I don't know I said Mafia. Marfa, Texas. On January 16th, 1953, the youngest of three sons born to Johnny and Una Matthews. His father, of Scottish descent, was the mayor of the town and the president of the Chamber of Commerce, as well as a businessman and leader of the local Methodist church. The family moved to uh, to Phoenix, Arizona, though he was an average student through grade school. History and politics interested, interested him. Interested him. At age 11, he joined the John Birch Society. <laughs> at fucking 11, bro. At 11. Matthew. The last thing I was thinking about at fucking the age of 11 was anything political. Like, I was just not there at that age. You know what I mean? Uh, at all. I can relate a little bit. I was fairly precocious as a kid, and I was I was probably, like, I wasn't, like, all the way over to our position, but I was very politically aware and, and, and arguably, like, a third position is already by then. Um, I used to be obsessed with the news and stuff like that, so I can I can kind of relate to that level of interest at that age. Yeah, 
Yeah, I was. I mean, I was into like fucking Negro shit when I was that. Kid. Yeah. I mean, I was into like coming out of like playing with toys and shit, right? Ent- entering puberty and getting into like thuggish shit at that age. The last. Yeah, thing I, I mean, I was I was, was bouncing was... around. My, my experience was that I used to hang my grand. I used to hang with my grandfather. Uh, and my my time that I used to spend with my grandfather, I'd, I'd be ever since I was a little early memories of mine, three four years old, I'd sit beside his chair and he, he'd make me like go up and change the um the channel on the TV like before he had a remote control. I was his like remote control, and so I'd sit there and just watch what he watched. So I'd w- watch the news with my grandfather, and that was kind of like what got me into like paying attention to politics pretty much since I can remember. Hell yeah! Uh, so uh, John, Bur- okay, yeah, uh. And I joined the John Birch Society at age 11, also the Mormon Church, and later joined the Young Republicans. After dropping out of high school his senior year, Matthews formed the Sons of Liberty, an anti-communist militia dominated by survivalists and fellow Mormons. The Sons of Liberty had its peak at approximately 25 members. Matthew also joined an anti-income tax movement called the Income Tax Resistant Movement in 1973, he was arrested by the IRS for submitting false information on his employer's W-4 uh, tax withholding forms. He claimed 10 dependents. <laughs> he was, like, doing some white sovereign citizen shit where he, like, you know, taxation is theft, brother. And he fucking uh, filed, he, he claimed 10 dependents on his fucking tax returns to try to buck the tax system. Uh, ended up just getting a little mi- misdemeanor charge. No big deal. Uh, he had to pay, like, restitution on his income tax and do, like, a six-month probation. It wasn't much at all. Uh, when his probation ended, he moved to Medellin Falls in Washington, which is a small fucking town. And this is the kind of place I want to live. Uh, Medellin, uh, or I'm sorry, Medellin, excuse me, Medellin Falls, Washington, population 285. This is, the, this, I mean, you know... Personally, me personally, I think I don't think towns should be over 500 people, right? I think we should live in smaller, walkable cities with 500 people or so. Uh, I think that's ideal. Uh, I think that's yeah. peak conditions. Yeah, I tend to agree, especially in rural areas. Um, like in ancient, like Vedic scripture, they had uh, recommendations for limitations on 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 large cities as well that they shouldn't be over a hundred thousand people. So yeah, I think that kind of that kind of thinking is very healthy for for white culture. Yeah, I think it. I think it builds an an, uh, uh, an environment of accountability, right? You're, there's you're not so disconnected from one another, so you're a lot uh, more likely to be held accountable for your actions in a small community like that by yes. the community. Uh, so yeah, um, uh, he bought. 60 acres, uh, he bought 60 acres of wooded property in Medline Falls, and he named it Matthews Acres. He went to work for Bunker Hill Mining Company as an electrician, hail the electrical trade. Uh, they closed the mine in 77, so he went on to work for a concrete company. Uh, but, you know, that shit, you know, he was, uh, getting restless, right? That shit wasn't working for him, so he just started to dive headlong into politics. Um, uh, in 1980, he joined the National Alliance with Pierce and them. Uh, so he that's where he cut his teeth in in the movement per se right was with was with William Luther William Luther Pierce and the National Alliance uh um and you know it says here that Pierce actually worked with Rockwell we all know that um but it says Matthews after reading two books published by the National Alliance uh which had profound effects on his life, decided to join. The books were Which Way, Western Man by William Gailey Simpson. I've never even heard of that uh, book. 
by the way. Which Way, Western Man by William Gailey Simpson. I'll put that in the chat real quick. Boom. All right. And uh, Which Way, Western Man was a story about a plot by Jews to destroy white Christians. And obviously we know what the Turner Diaries are. That was his other favorite book. Those are the books that really shifted him and made him decide to actually join up with the Alliance <clears throat> was Which Way Western Man and obviously the Turner Diaries. Uh, in February 1982, Matthews began attending services at the Church of Jesus Christ Christians inside the Aryan Nations compound in Hayden Lake, Idaho. The founder of the church and leader of the Aryan Nations was Richard Grant Butler. <clears throat> uh, he's the one that had those bad... He was having like these big parades... Uh, I think he had something to do with the guy. He was, uh, I think he was related to the, not related, like, by blood, but, like, he had, he was affiliated with, uh, the guy who wrote The Brigade, Covington, all right? I think all of that stuff, all these people were all a part of the same little web, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not real sure about that, but I think that's correct. Maybe someone in the chat can correct me on that. But anyways, um... Yeah, he was going to church, a Christian church, um, uh, with the, at the Aryan Nation compound in Idaho. Uh, then he goes on and he finds his he founds his own little group called the White American Bastion, a splinter group organized to attract white Christian families to the Northwest. So he was doing a thing, kind of like um. Kind of like Ozarkia, right? Where they're just trying to get families up here and build a a white support, a white social support structure, right? Build a white community to live with families, and not necessarily anything military or militant or political, just a white uh, conclave, right? There you go. That's the word I'm for. He's trying to build a white conclave, and he called it the uh, White American Bastion. Um. Uh, it says the the white racial bastion was a uh, effort to recruit farmers and ranchers into the white racialist movement, ending with a call to arms. Matthew's speech received the only standing ovation at the convention. So that's the famous uh, speech that we are going to end the show with. Uh, it's a really, really good speech, and that's what we're going to play on the way out of here. As a, Instead of the normal ending song, we're going to play Bob Matthews' speech on the way out of here. <clears throat> but, uh... While at the convention, Matthews renewed acquaintances with Robert Allen Martinez, a fucking rat. I'm pretty sure that's the one that ratted him out. Somebody named Martinez ended up ratting him out. Uh, a former Ku Klux Klan man from Philadelphia whom he unsuccessfully tried to recruit to the... Yeah, this is him. Who he unsuccessfully tried to recruit to the Bastion. Their close friendship would eventually prove to be Matthews' undoing. The founding of the Order in late September 1983, uh, when Matthews... The founding of the Order took place in 1983. Matthews invited eight men who he felt held beliefs similar to his own to his property in Meadowline Falls. Uh, Kenneth Loft, his neighbor and best friend, David Eden Lane, which is the guy who wrote the 88 Precepts, which everybody should read if they haven't had a chance to, a former Klansman from Denver, Colorado, Daniel, Al Daniel R. Bauer, a Denver... I don't know what the fuck that is. Daw Parameter, whatever the fuck that is. Uh, Randolph George Dewey and Bruce Carroll Pierce from the Aryan Nations. And Richard Harold Kemp and William Soderquist uh, were recent recruits from the National Alliance. Although most of the men were known to law enforcement, none of them had yet committed any violent crimes or been in prison. That is something I wanted to point out when I read this the first time. Think about this, guys. This is in the fucking 80s. This is in the 1980s. 
These guys didn't have cell phones. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have this massive surveillance state that we live under. And all of them were known by the authorities, and none of them had ever been in trouble. Mm -hmm. You think fucking encryption and anonymity and shit works on the internet? The fuck? They they know who the fuck we are. Yes, they do. Uh, uh, the group Matthews founded that night became known variously as the Order, the Silent Brotherhood, or the White American Bastion. The Turner Diaries became their Bible. Well, I don't know about all that. This is, we got to remember, guys, this is from a, a mainstream news site, so there's going to be some slanderous uh, language in here. We're just going to have to kind of pick through it, right? Uh, because it does, this is a pretty good, concise telling of his story. That You know what I mean? Um so uh, the order fund the order's fundamental aim was overthrow of the Zionist Zionist oppressive government, or I'm sorry, a Zionist occupation government, or Zog, a euphemism a euphemism for the United States government, which they believe was controlled by a Jewish cabal. The order's revolutionary, the, I'm sorry, the order's revolutionary revolution was financed by armed robberies, counterfeiting, and other violent crimes intended to disrupt the American economy, and that is exactly what Matthews and his gang of neo-Nazis <laughs> decided to do. Uh, these were men of action, man. These were men who had been beaten down by this system. Their families had been abused by this system. These were, these were working men, farmers, truck drivers, who had been watching for decades their people be just chewed up and spit out by this anti-white system. And they'd had enough, man. And, and this, is, this is the natural reaction, right? The reaction that Bob Matthews and the order had to the oppression of white people in this country is the natural reaction. Um, so, and here is where their, their, uh, <laughs> their uh, what do you want to call this? Their campaign began here, right? <clears throat> just balls of steel, these guys. Uh, on October... 28, 1983, Matthew, Pierce, Dewey, and Bauer pulled up to their pulled their first armed robbery. And I want you to pay attention to the places they hit, right? They weren't robbing, uh, you know, like convenience stores and liquor stores and mom and pop shops. No, they fucking hit a fucking pawn, a porn shop. <laughs> first and foremost, porn shops, banks, armored trucks. They were only going after uh, things that were a part of the beast system, right? For lack of a better way to put it. Uh, so the first uh, job was a porn shop, a smut shop in Spokane, Washington, called Worldwide Video. Uh, the job only netted $369, so Matthew said, we're not doing that shit no more. Uh, it was only 369, 369 bucks, so they never hit a small, uh, they never did a small robbery like that again, right? He said it was too risky and not enough payout, so he's like, from now on, we're going big. We're not doing this shit no more. We're just going to go big. Uh, so, um, uh, da 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 November, uh, so after the next, no or the following November, uh, Matthews organized a trip to Seattle with the intention of robbing an armored car there. They selected a the Fred Meyer store at 18, uh, 18, Aurora Avenue North in Shoreline as their first target. Meanwhile, Lane was by, uh, busy setting up a counterfeiting operation at Hayden Lake, utilizing the offset press in the Aryan Nation's print shop and the assistance of a new recruit, Gary Lee Yarborough. On December 3rd, 1983, Bruce Pierce was arrested in Yakima for passing off counterfeit 50s at the Valley Mall in Union Gap and for carrying a concealed weapon. A, fer a federal judge in Yakima set his bail at $25,000, and Pierce was interviewed by a Secret Service agent from Spokane, but kept his motherfucking mouth shut like a real fucking man. He kept his motherfucking lips sealed like a real fucking man. 
Uh, and because he did that, his brothers went and looked out for him. Listen to what this fucking, this fucking absolute lunatic, in a good way, uh, Bob Matthews did. His buddy's in jail. He hears that his buddy's not ratting. He knows his buddy's a stand-up guy. What's this fucking dude does? He goes and robs a fucking bank to get his bail money. <laughs> he goes and robs a fucking bank to get this guy's bail money and bonds his ass out. Uh, so in mid-March of 1984, Matthews, along with Pierce, Dewey, and Yarbrough, returned to, to the Seattle area to case of the Fred Meyer store on Shoreline. On Friday afternoon, March 16, 1984, a Continental Armored Transport truck pulled up to the store's main entrance to collect the weekly receipts. They robbed the guard just as he was leaving the office with six large money bags and coin boxes in a handcart. This time, the take was $43,345. On April 3rd, 1984, Bruce Pierce appeared in the U.S. Court, uh, U.S. District Court in Spokane, where he pled guilty to passing counterfeit currency since he was the first offense. Since this was his first offense, Pierce, uh, though he would be likely to thought he would likely to be get a, he would be likely to get a light sentence or probation because he showed no remorse for his actions by refusing to reveal the source of the counterfeit bills and his ties to the Aryan Nation. The judge, uh, Judge Nichols, sentenced him to two years in federal prison. The judge gave Pierce three weeks to settle his affairs, ordering him to report to the U.S. Marshal Service before noon on April 24th. Pierce told the court he would be staying with Robert Matthews at Medline Falls when he failed to show up. The U.S. Marshals in Spokane issued a bench warrant for his arrest. Uh, Pierce, now a federal fugitive, had been busy elsewhere and had no intentions of serving the prison time. Uh, on April 20 or April 19th, 1984, Matthews, accompanied by Pierce. Parameter or Parameter, excuse me, Dewey, Kemp, Yarborough, and Andrew Virgil Barhill, a new recruit, returned to Seattle to carry out another armored car robbery, one they had scouted back in November of 1983. Their plan was to hijack another Continental armored transport truck as it was leaving the Northgate Mall with the weekend receipts for several large stores. In order to create a diversion for the robbery, Matthews told Yarborough to make a small time bomb. <laughs> and on Saturday uh, afternoon, April 22nd, Yarborough entered the embassy, a uh, X-rated movie theater. So he's going and he's blowing up a fucking jack-off shack. Right? He's going and the diversion he has, he goes to put this time bomb in a jack-off shack uh, located on Union Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenues in downtown Seattle. And slipped the time, he slipped the time bomb under some vacant seats, then left the theater and made a phone call to the, cash, uh, to the cashier warning of the bomb. Shortly thereafter, it exploded, but the damage to the theater, to the theater was minimal, and nobody was seriously injured. Matthew planned, uh, Matthew planned to phone the embassy theater with another bomb threat just before the armed robbery on Monday, hoping to divert, attention, to divert the attention of the police. The heist took place on Monday afternoon, April 23, 1984, after the armored truck... <coughs> had made pickups at Nordstrom's, the Bonmark, and J.K. Gill, an office supply store, and an office supply store. The robbery was much more complicated and dangerous because it took place inside the Northgate Mall. <laughs> they didn't even wait for the truck to come out. They just went and robbed this motherfucker inside the goddamn shopping mall. Uh, the gang this time made off with $536,000. However, 300000 of it was in checks, which had to be destroyed. Uh, Matthews then used some of the money uh, to buy um, firearms, like basically firearms to like you know arm his his little group. Uh, 
and a, a state-of-the-art computer system is what he bought. Firearms, ammunition, and a state-of-the-art computer system. Sunday afternoon, April 29th, 1984, Pierce and Kemp decided to plant another small bomb underneath the congregation Atva Israel Synagogue, located at North 27th and West Bannock Street in Boise, Idaho. It was the first bomb Pierce had ever assembled, and the blast did little damage. There were no injuries, but the message to the Jewish community was clear. But Matthews was angry. Not because the action was unauthorized, but because Pierce should have made the bomb stronger. <laughs> uh, let me check the chat real quick. All right. Uh, let me get back over here to it. Um, Where was I at? On May 27, 1984, Dewey and Kemp, accompanied by two other recruits, David and Charles Tate from the Aryan Nations, and James, oh yeah, so this is, uh, they, uh, one of the guys was going around, uh, basically running his fucking mouth to women, talking about all the fucking, uh, trucks they were robbing and shit, so they, they killed him. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens, you know what I mean? Like, when you're involved in those kind of things, you kind of, you know, there's a, there's a set of parameters you operate within, and you know if you step outside of those parameters, well, you know. Consequences. Consequences, man, yeah, uh. Uh, on May 17th, 1984, Matthew sent, uh, oh, no, so the Allen Berg thing. Okay, yeah. Uh, Allen Berg, age 50, a controversial Jewish talk show host on radio stations KOA 8, 850 AM in Denver, Colorado. Berg had a, a, cont a contentious style, which he used to bait callers, getting the show, getting, bait callers into getting on the show's phones. He especially liked to agitate right-wing extremist groups such as the Denver Ku Klux Klan. And for this reason, Matthews put Berg on his hit list. So Alan Berg was a viciously anti-white Jew. Um, I should actually try to find some of his recordings and play some on the show sometime. That's actually what we may do. We may cover Alan Berg because he was a viciously anti-white Jew. Just some of the worst scum you could ever imagine. And, uh, you know... He got taken care of. I mean, I don't know who did it. Uh, I don't really even think they actually even know who did it. I think they just kind of pinned it on these guys. But the way they said they did it was so fucking gangster. <laughs> we'll just ride with it. Uh, so on May 17th, uh, 1984, Matthew sent Jean, uh, Jean Margaret Craig, a female associate, to Denver to observe Berg's movements and confirm that he would be a viable target. On June 15th, Matthews, Pierce, and Richard Joseph's uh, Skitari, a new recruit, headed for Colorado, and David Lane had left for Denver the day before. On Monday afternoon, June 18, 1984, the group assembled at a Motel 6 in Denver to review the plans for Berg's assassination. Pierce uh, had insisted on being the trigger man and brought along a 45 caliber Ingram Mac 10 submachine gun. <laughs> <laughs> These fucking uh, wignat white boys riding around with a goddamn fucking Mac-10, huh? <laughs> like a fucking rap video. Yeah. Riding around with a fucking Mac-10. I died Mega. laughing when I heard that. Mega, make Aryans gangster again. Yeah, make Aryans gangster again. I'm making that a shirt. 100% I'm making that a shirt. <laughs> uh... Yeah, absolutely. Make Aryans gangster again. Uh, uh, unleash your inner Bob Matthews, fam. <laughs> uh, when Berg pulled his Volkswagen Vol Beagle, uh, that's yeah. Anyway, I'm not even gonna do that. Fuck it. I ain't gonna do the. I ain't doing violence things. Fucking gay. Hell, Bob. We're Matthews. just joking. Yeah, hell, Bob Matthews. Now fuck these Jews. Hell, Bob Matthews. He did great. Hell, things. Bob Matthews. 
when Bird pulled his Volkswagen Beetle into the driveway at 921, Lane pulled in behind him. Matthews jumped out of the front passenger side door, opening the rear door for Pierce, who ran up the driveway. When Berg exited his car with a bag of groceries, Pierce opened fire point-blank range with the MAC-10, hitting Berg 12 times before the gun jammed. The group rushed back to the Motel 6, gathered their belongings, and headed out of town. Now, that just doesn't seem like it makes much sense to me. Why would Bob Matthews get out to open the door for him? That just that, that doesn't make any sense. Why not just roll down the fucking window or open your own fucking door? It's just, I don't know. It just was, it stuck out as bizarre to me. Uh, so, uh, Sunday, June 24th, here comes the rat. Uh, David Lane delivered $30,000 of counterfeit money to Robert Martinez in Philadelphia, which he had reluctantly agreed to pass for the order. Lane told him to pass the bills in Jersey, not in his own neighborhood. And Martinez, I mean, like, man, if a motherfucker's got the last name Martinez in your group, he's, he needs some background checks done. (laughs) All right, like, what the fuck, Martinez? Like, I get it, Spanish, so on, and yes, I do think Spaniards are white and all that stuff, actual Spaniards, but man, Martinez? In America, it's tough, bro. Like, there's too much fucking, too many Mexicans, like, to be able to trust that. Like, you know, maybe, like, I don't know, maybe in Canada, like, you know, maybe in some, like, a little bit whiter, whiter country, like, you know, basically whiter country, like, but the amount of Mexicans in America is just, like, you can't, you can't go with that. It's tough. Not fucking Martinez. I mean, they don't even got like one that sounds like elite, right? Like Gonzaga. Right? That sounds like a little bit more elite, right? Than fucking mm-hmm. <laughs> Martinez. I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking shit. But this does to me. No, uh, dude, if you're in the States, dude, you have to be super much more careful than that. Like, it's just it's just what it is. So basically, the sus, the suspic, <laughs> the suspic Martinez does exactly what David Lane tells him not to do, and he, like, spends the money at a corner store down the street from his house, gets himself booked, and ends up ratting on everybody. Uh, Martinez called Matthews, asking him for $1,600 to hire an attorney uh, after he got busted, and then, you know, Robert J. Matthews tells him, all right, I'll get you the money. He still rats on him. He still fucking rats on him. Uh, So... Uh, after this, Matthews decides to ha- hijack another armored car, but this time in California. He made contact with Charles E. Ostrout, a supervisor at the Brinks Armored Car Service Depot in San Francisco. Ostrout had visited the white American bastion in 82, complaining that minorities were getting all the jobs and promotions at Brinks. And this is exactly what gave birth to the order. The order was a bunch of working class white men that were tired of being fucked over. That's what it was. Uh... Okay, um, on July 1st, 1984, Matthews headed to San Francisco, hoping to get inside information on the best and most lucrative Brinks vehicle to rob. Ostrout selected the Brinks truck uh, that runs to Eureka at a place of North Ukiah as the perfect armored truck to hijack. On Thursday, July 19th, 1984, Matthews and six members of the order, uh, Parameter, Salterquist, Sukari, Dewey, Pierce, and Barnhill, Stopped at a Brinks stopped a Brinks armored truck on the highway 101. When I was watching the uh, little, uh, it was like there's like an eight or ten minute documentary I was watching about this, and they said that when they did this shit in the daylight on the highway, the people on the highway thought it was like a movie. They thought like that they were a movie. They didn't think it was real because it was so outlandish. Like these guys jumping out with like assault rifles, blocking off this fucking armored car on the highway and robbing it. 
Uh, so yeah, the, the cop was saying like the people around the witnesses thought it was a fucking movie. They didn't even think it was real when it happened. Uh, so, um, ba -ba 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 -ba. stop the armor truck on highway one Oh one, robbing the guards of more than $3.6 million. The gang escaped. Yeah. The gang escaped and drove to Reno, Nevada, where they split up into several cars and then drove North to buy to Boise. Uh, to divide the money during the robbery, Matthews lost a nine millimeter Smith and Wesson semi-automatic pistol, registered to Andrew V. Barnhill, providing the FBI with its first solid lead, uh, in the string of armored car robberies. So, in the heat of it all, man, he got fucking, he got too flustered and lost a gun, and that's what brought him down. I mean, that along with the 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 Mexican ratting on him, right? I mean, they were already on his tail because of the Mexican, and then that just really tied him to everything, really solidified everything the Mexican had been saying. Uh, so, emboldened by their success, it says here, Matthews decided to use Ostrut's inside information for yet another Brinks robbery. This time he set his sights on the vault at the Brinks Armored Car Service Depot in San Francisco, where they periodically handled shipments of money from Hawaii ranging from $30 million to $50 million. Ostrut recruited Robert Allen King, uh, an operations manager for the Brinks Depot to assist the planning and carrying out of the heist. If successful, it would be the biggest robbery in the United States history, but it never came to fruition. Uh, so here it talks about how the FBI started getting them. FBI used information obtained from serial numbers on the handgun, looked at the bank robbery. The FBI began zeroing in on the numbers on the members of the order. By August, it had compiled a list of many of its members and had identified Robert Matthews as a leader. By September, FBI agents accumulated enough substantive information to convince the Bureau headquarters to mount a major offensive against the militant racist gang. It wasn't long before the precinct the presence of some 40 federal agents roaming around the rural northern Idaho known for its anti-government attitudes was noticed. And this is another, this is like, uh, you guys know how much I used to talk about um, Eric Rudolph. And I should start talking about Eric Rudolph again because that dude, we can learn a lot from guys like that. And this is another situation where although there were people in the Nantahala uh, rural areas who never would have openly condoned violence they helped eric rudolph avoid the feds right because they believed in him and they saw the state as the enemy and the same thing here with with uh brother matthews when the people of rural idaho saw the feds sniffing around they got a hold of the order like hey them boys are here looking for you stay the fuck out of dodge and we can win the hearts and minds of rural white america we can and they will tacitly support us they will support us silently and that's all we need uh, when the order found out that the FBI had been around asking questions, more of the game left the area and went into hiding. Split into two groups, Matthews and his cadre preferred the cheap hotels and safe houses, while Pierce's tribe preferred the mobile lifestyle, moving from town to town in campers and travel trailers. Gary Arboro moved his belongings from Sandpoint to a remote mountain cabin near Samuels, Idaho, as an FBI airplane watched. <laughs> the airplanes were fucking following them as they moved, dude. Uh. Matthews asked an associate, Artie McBeardy, uh, or McBirdy, to establish a message center so the group could stay connected. He rented an office in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> that tripped me out when I saw that. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, and installed an answering machine whose messages could be picked up and left. Uh, Martinez rats. Uh, so it just tells here how Martinez snitched them all out. Um, uh, 
uh, on October 30 or October 1st, 1984, the first day of his scheduled trial, Philip Thomas Martinez decided to become an FBI informant. His attorney told him the FBI had him linked to the order and he would most likely be named as a co-conspirator in any future indictments to protect himself and his family. Martinez gave the authorities detailed information about the order, the knowledge of their crimes. He also agreed to collect more information about the gang's current activi- activities. On Thursday morning, October 18th, 1984, three FBI agents in a green U.S. Forest Service truck drove onto Yarborough's property in Samuels and were immediately met with gunfire. <laughs> These boys were not fucking around. Uh, they hastily retreated, returning that evening with a search warrant. Inside the cabin, agents found a treasure trove of evidence, including documents, explosives. Hang- this is the one criticism. Well, many, but this is the main criticism I have of the order. Uh, and look, far be it for me to like judge these guys with the, when the heat is on them so hard. But man, there's three, three times in this story where they totally shit the bed and 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 fuck themselves there's the gun there's this and there's another time when matthews actually leaves some he leaves a car with some other information but we're almost done with this guys about five more minutes and then we'll get on out of here uh i want to finish this up though it's really an interesting and important shit uh so yep um Treasure trove. Oh, uh, found a treasure trove of evidence, including documents, explosives, grenades, and a case of ammunition at an alarming co- and an alarming collection of pistols, shotguns, rifles, and two Ingram Mac tens. Uh, there were also gas masks, knives, crossbows, assault vests, radio frequency scanners, and other equipment. Yar- uh, Yarborough, however, managed to escape into the woods. The search warrant provided the second major break in the investigation when the FBI laboratory identified one of the Mac tens as the weapon used to kill Allen Berg. Which, you know what I mean? I don't really fucking believe that. I think they could have found any forty-five caliber gun in there and they would have pinned it on those guys. Uh, yep. uh, well, we've already debunked uh, like bullet forensics anyways, right? Yeah, I don't believe in that shit at all, man. I don't. Uh, as So as Pierce's group roamed the Southwest, staying mainly in trailers uh, and trailer parks, Matthew's group, now including fugitive Gary Yarborough, rented five houses in small rural communities near Mount Hood, 35 miles east of Portland, Oregon. Gary Dewey and a few members migrated to Puget Sound region where they rented three secluded vacation homes on Smuggler's Cove near Green Bank on Wibley Island. It was Matthews who inadvertently put the FBI back on their trail by contacting Thomas Martinez, the fucking rat, and asking him to fly to Portland, Oregon for a short meeting. On Friday, November evening, no, or I'm sorry, on Friday evening, November 23rd, 1984, Matthews and Yarborough packed up Martinez, or picked up Martinez at the Portland International Airport, then drove to the Capri Motel located at 82nd and Halsey Street, where they rented two rooms. Martinez had reservations on Saturday morning uh, for a flight back, had Flight had Saturday morning reservations for a flight back to Philadelphia. The FBI planned to follow Matthews to his new safe house after the meeting, but when they saw Yarborough, their chant, their plans changed. Early that Saturday morning, November 24th, the FBI surrounded the hotel, waiting for the two figures to emerge. Martinez had been contacted by phone and told to stay in his room and not answer the door. When Matthews left his room on the second floor, he spotted surveillance and then started shouting a warning to Yarborough. He ran across the rock. He ran across the walkway, down the stairs, and across the parking lot to exchange gunfire with the police. Matthews shot one agent in the leg and was wounded in his right hand, but was managed to escape. Yarbrough tried to escape to the bathroom window at the rear, but it fell 15 feet into a tangle of bushes and was captured. Matthews, here it is. Matthews left behind his car with various weapons, including a silencer-equipped Mac-10. Uh, a hand grenade, $30,000 in cash from the Brinks robbery, rental agreements for the houses near Mount Hood, and a book of names and cell phone numbers in code. Uh, 
The same morning, Matthews hitched two ride, a ride to his hideout in Mount Hood, wearing a makeshift bandage on his right hand. He told people he injured his hand working on his car. Uh, after recounting the shootout with FBI, with the FBI, Matthews told his group that they were leaving Oregon immediately and heading out to their safe house in Wibley Island to regroup. While recuperating there, Matthews found, penned a four-page declaration of war against the Zionist occupation government of North America, which he planned to send to all major news, newspapers, calling for the elimination of politicians, judges, and anyone else in authority who got in their way and concluding and concluded the letter with let the battle begin on Monday. Here it is. There's the final day on Monday, December or the final sequence here. Monday, December 3rd, 1984, the FBI Seattle office received an anonymous call from a payphone in which the person said that Matthews and other members of the order were hiding out on Wibley Island and were heavily armed. When the tip proved to be true, FBI dispatched 150 agents to the island to make sure none of the fugitives escaped. By Friday morning, December 7th, 1984, the FBI had all three hideouts surrounded. Arrest, uh, agents arrested four members of the gang without incident, including Dewey, but, including Dewey, but Matthews refused to surrender. A 35-hour standoff ensued, during which Matthew fired at the agents numerous times with a submachine gun. On Saturday, negotiations stalled out, and at about 6.30 p.m., the FBI fired three M79 Starburst illumination flares into the house, knowing it would likely catch the home on fire and end the standoff. But Matthews did not surrender. On Sunday morning, agents found the charred remains of Robert J. Matthews and later identified him by dental records. It is said that Matthews fired over 1,000 rounds at agents. There you go, man. There you yep. go, man. Hail the great Bob Matthews, man. A true Hail warrior, man. A true warrior who said what he meant and meant what he said. Uh, one of the, if not the greatest of, of, of the modern era, um, you know, I mean, laying it out for your people in that way, um, it, 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 it's equivalent to what they intend to do to us. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not fed posting. I'm really not like, it's, it's not, it's not the purpose, but it's the point of what I'm saying is to highlight the bloodthirstiness of, of our enemies. If you look at Dennis Prager's laugh and, and his, his response that we saw in the video earlier to the question of should, uh, should villains learn before they're punished? Right. And then his answer was, was that such a Christian question, right? They have no intention of giving us any quarter. Um, and so, you know, uh, the idea of like racial holy war, um, is really, um, it's, it's, it, 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 it became, um, uh, popular in white nationalism because we know that the Jews will never leave us alone. They won't leave. They won't take their own space. They, they believe that they invented morality and ethics they believe that they have a right to self-determination and that we don't. And so if you're to meet that equivalently, right, if, if, you're, to, if you're to defend yourself, um, it, 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 it implies that, that there's going to be this type of, of potential for violence and that, you know, it's, it's their pressure their leverage of a proxy for violence of, by the government that they've taken control of which which is the government of our states um 
to, to wield against us. So so the, the idea of Rahoa is a response to the violence and the perpetration uh, of injustice against our people in our land. So it's not us that are ever going to cause this 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 type of violence or, or create a racial holy war. Right. It, we, we identify this as something that's coming because it's the intention. It, it's, it's the logical conclusion based on the behavior of Jews in our countries. Shit, sorry, brother. I was I was muted up. Yeah, absolutely, man. Hundred percent, uh, man. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a natural reaction to to genocide. To be honest with you, the, what these men did was a natural reaction to recognizing genocide and oppression. One hundred percent. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Yeah, uh, that's right. Let me read off these uh donations and let's get to playing this thing so we can get out of here. I know Night Nation's on and I really didn't mean to go so far over into his time. So I want to get out of here and uh let the let the people get over to his thing. But we do have a really good speech coming up at the end. That's what I'm gonna end the show with is Robert's J. Matthews speech. So real quick, Wallums, thank you very much. He says I'm new to your channel, but not NS, but you guys have my support. Yeah, that's fine, brother. I mean, and it's one of those things. I'm sorry, I don't know if you're a man or a woman, I just assume. Uh so fam. Uh you know just be patient and hang out. Be part of the family and and, and we'll see where you're at in a couple months, man. Uh it's my opinion that every rational, moral, white person who doesn't hate their own skin is just by default national socialist. They just haven't really put the the, the numbers together. You know, like back in the day, and I still kind of uh, ascribe to this. You know, I've said many times that I don't call myself a national socialist because I don't really know the doctrine that well. That's why I stick with racial fascism because I do know the doctrine of fascism really well. And uh, I know that... Um, you know, fascism is centered around the state. That's why I call it racial fascism, because the fascism I envision is centered around the race. And in fascist Italy, the nation and the state were almost inseparable. Mussolini seen them as one in the, one in the same. But uh, anyways, that's a whole other conversation that we could actually have. And we should have. I haven't had that fascism conversation in years. Uh, one of my first guests ever was Culture Thug, and we had a great conversation, man. But thank you very much, yeah. Wallums. Uh, we're, we're happy to have you here, man. Uh, we're not, uh, you know, national socialists aren't the monsters everybody makes us out to be, I promise, man. We're just normal guys. And thank you very much for being here, and thank you very much for the donation. Uh, Nazarite, thank you very much. He says, I'm happy my phone is able to handle this stream tonight. Me too, brother. I'm glad you were here. Uh, Night Nation, thank you very much, brother. Uh, he says, great interview. Thank you, brother. Howdy do, uh, says, great show, need more good guests. Yeah, we're going to try to, I've got a plan. Uh, I'll see if I can work it out. I'm going to try to get. One every week, every two weeks. We'll see if we can pull it off. Uh, I have to go back and get some old guests that haven't been on in a while. Uh, howdy do. Thank you very much. Oh, that's what I just said. Thank you very much again. Howdy do. Uh, Jack Handy. Thank you very much. Says, our, san our ancestors had a doctrine of manifest destiny that rightly justified setting and conquering the Western territories all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And the Jews call us evil colonizers for doing it. But they do this. They use the same justification for taking Palestine and say it's just 100%. Yes, exactly. That's exactly the point I was trying to make in the thing there. But, guys, thank you all very, very, very much for being here. I hope you all enjoyed the show tonight. Thank you very much to uh, Pilgrim, Carbon Fiber, Beefy, Seeing Red, Fire of Pain, Rock Against Communism, Jack Handy, Nurax, Dissident Thoughts, Thor's Rune, They Call Me Perp, Return to Chimp, 
Howdy do, Night Nation, Nazarite, and Wallums. Thank you all very, very, very much for all your support. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Uh, also, I want to say thank you to all the people who just signed up for Wignat, uh, the Wignat thing, and then I'm going to play this. Uh, oh, I'm going to let Akilah say his goodbyes, and then I'm going to play this. So thank you very much to uh, the other guy, Divided, Mike Taylor, Pure Nomad, uh, and I think White Supreme Pizza was the other one. Thank you all very, very much for signing up for that. Uh, I do have a little uh, biographical piece <laughs> up there. I went and walked through my old apartments and uh, kind of told some stories, which I'm going to do again. But, guys, also one more thing before I uh, let Akila talk. I want to um, tell you guys that this is probably – Getting real close to last call to get the Christmas shit from the Gear Bubble store if you want it by Christmas. There's the link right there. And Brother Akila, do you have anything you want to say on the way out of here? Uh, very briefly, as usual, guys, 3.0. Um, you know, rally around your brothers and exercise together. Um, educate yourselves as much as possible. Try to read a book a month if you can um spirituality so you know if you can't go to church because it's too cucked uh pray with your your brothers and your family um every day and um as much as you can um speak to people and and do activism try and get that done because uh we have a ripe opportunity to answer a lot of questions that people have about what's going on in the world right now um so that's that's all i got to say thanks to daily rake um uh, what a brilliant guest and uh, as usual thanks to you john for having me I, I love doing it it's look forward to it twice a week more than more than most of the other things i do so very blessed to be able to be on here and uh, thank you chat um 1488 no it's been absolutely been a blessing having you brother you really you really added a lot to it man so it's, it's good to have you here brother you really helped me a lot man and guys Always remember, go for, uh, visit americaner.org. Visit that site. Give Gordon some traffic. I am now uploading my shows on Tuesday nights because Sunday was just too much for me. I just had too much shit going on. So now Tuesdays are open, so all my Americana uploads will be on Tuesdays. Uh, and every Wednesday, I'm going to try to make sure every Wednesday I get a clip up. So those are the things I'm trying to do, man. We're trying to get it all worked out. We're trying to... to polished to show up for you guys a little bit we greatly 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 appreciate all y'all support thank you all very very much for being here on the way out of here we're going to hear from the great uh, the great robert j matthews and as always guys take care of yourselves and take care of each other one people one struggle god bless y'all family bob matthews with commentary by dr william luther pierce the year 19 83. The speech you're about to hear was given on Sunday, September 4th, 1983, by Robert Matthews at the General Convention of the National Alliance in Arlington, Virginia. A few weeks later, Matthews declared war on the enemies of our race, went underground with a handful of companions he called the Silent Brotherhood, and began fighting. His fight lasted until he was burned to death by a secret police task force a little over a year later, on December 8, 1984, on Whidbey Island, Washington. My first contact with Bob Matthews was in 1980, when he began corresponding with me. After the first few letters, he became a member of the National Alliance, and we corresponded for more than a year before we met.
In his letters, he had a number of questions about both the Alliance's message and our recruiting activities, and I answered them as well as I could. We finally met in 1981 when he came to my office for the first time. Bob was a strong, sturdily built, 28-year-old man with short brown hair and an open, friendly face. We talked about a number of things, both theoretical and practical. Bob was interested in ideas as well as in the ways in which we might deal with the immediate problems we were facing. The thing that most impressed me about Bob during our meetings was his intense earnestness. There was none of the make-believe revolutionary about him, none of the historical cultishness or organizational hobbyism or excessive fascination with weapons that I've so often encountered in young men seeking a psychological escape from the unpleasant reality of a Judaized America. Bob was a serious man. He could smile, he could joke, he could laugh, but the overriding impression one got from talking with him was of a man who, like many Americans, was greatly concerned, greatly disturbed about what was being done to our country and our people, but who also, unlike most of those who are concerned, was determined to do something about it, to do whatever he could. To Bob, the situation was quite clear. We were under attack by an extraordinarily malevolent, dangerous, and capable enemy who was determined to destroy us, to destroy our world, to destroy our race, to wipe out every trace of us, just as its tribal God had commanded it in the Old Testament. And our responsibility was to fight this enemy with all our means. There was no question of should we fight, but only of how to fight most effectively. And in particular, there was no question at all of whether or not he personally should become involved in the fight. That required no discussion, no hesitation or soul-searching. He took it for granted that it was the inescapable responsibility of every honorable white man to join the fight immediately. Those who failed to do so were cowards or traitors. So we discussed his personal situation, his resources, his training, and his inclinations. I suggested to him that he might best spend his time and energies trying to recruit other people for the Alliance among his neighbors and co-workers near his home in Washington State. And that's what he did. Two years later, during the summer of 1983, Bob wrote to me about his recent experiences attempting to recruit among farmers, ranchers, and independent truckers in the Pacific Northwest. I asked him if he would prepare a short talk about his recruiting activity and deliver it at the Alliance's general convention on the Labor Day weekend. He agreed to do so, and the following is his talk. Thank you, Mike. My brothers, my sisters, from the mist-shrouded forested valleys and mountains of the Pacific Northwest, I bring you a message of solidarity, a call to action, and a demand for adherence to duty as members of the vanguard of an Aryan resurgence and ultimately total Aryan victory. 
The signs of awakening are sprouting up across the Northwest, and no more so than amongst the two-fisted farmers and ranchers, a class of our people who have been hit especially hard by the filthy, lying Jews and their parasitical usury system. From the beginning of this nation to the present, the yeoman farmer has been a symbol of the Aryan work ethic and a living monument to masculinity. Whenever I think of the first American Revolution, I often remember that stirring poem about Concord in Lexington. By the rude bridge that arched the flood, their flag to April's breeze unfurled. Here the embattled farmers stood and fired the shot heard round the world. Unfortunately, comrades, that poem glorifies a fratricidal conflict. How I dream of a new poem, a poem for today. Out of the valleys, out of the fields, pour the Aryan yeoman horde, their flag to April's breeze unfurled. Thence the Aryan farmers came and removed the Jew forever, forever from this world. Let us not forget, however, that the Levantine vermin are well aware of the dangers that an aroused and angered yeomanry represent to them. The tillers of the soil have always been something of a mystery to the Jews. Cities corrupt, cities corrupt, while the soil, the valley, the field, the farm, they revitalize and replenish a weakened and drained mind and body. How the weaselly little city-dwelling Jew fears and suspicions the Aryan farmer. What a contrast, what a contrast in mind and body between the two. I think that deep within the breast of our Aryan yeomanry lies a long dormant seed, the seed of a racial awakening, the seed of resurgence, the seed of anger, and the seed of the will to act. We must radicalize the American yeomanry. We must bring as many of them as possible into our vanguard for victory. The task is not going to be easy. TV satellite dishes are springing up like poisonous mushrooms across the domain of the tillers of the soil. The electronic Jew is slithering into the living rooms of even the most remote farms and ranches. The race-destroying doms are everywhere. Allied with the Jews in their attempt to neutralize the Aryan farmer is the ever-present local rural pastor or minister. My personal experience has shown that usually the only organized opposition we will encounter when organizing in a farming or ranching community is from some local pastor. However, the stranglehold that the churches have upon rural America is fast eroding. That stranglehold is fast eroding because the average American farmer and rancher is in extreme financial difficulty. When a man is on the verge of losing his second-generation farm, his livelihood, and in essence his whole life, due mostly to the Jew usury system, he finds little solace in theological baggage from the Levant. I'm particularly encouraged by the success that Texas Klan leader Louis Beam has had in organizing amongst the farmers and independent truckers. He's shown us the way, now we must do it for the Alliance. The potential is there. Working out of a base in northern Idaho, he created an organization called NoFit, National Organization of Farmers and Independent Truckers. Their slogan is, don't throw a fit, throw a bureaucrat. A beam working with actual farmers and truckers from the Northwest 
has managed within a few months to reach out and radicalize thousands of these kinsmen. I was talking to a young lady recently who works as a waitress in a large truck stop at Rock Springs, Wyoming. Every time No Fit puts out a new newsletter, they send her 500 copies. She said they are all gone within a few days, with many of the truckers either joining on the spot or subscribing to the newsletter. The regime in Washington, D.C. is extremely worried about the further radicalization of the American farmer. Fortunately, instead of implementing a program that will genuinely help the farmer, they're responding with massive shows of force and repression. So much the better. Sixty miles south of Spokane, Washington, along the Idaho border, is a farming area we refer to as a Palouse. It's one of the richest farming areas in the world. In many places, the Palouse has topsoil that is an incredible 18 feet deep. Along with wonderful soil, the Palouse has a very favorable growing climate. Even so, comrades, many farms in the Palouse are being foreclosed upon. I have met and talked with one of these unfortunate farmers, a kinsman by the name of Ray Smith. Mr. Smith is a large framed, ruddy-faced man who likes to refer to himself as, quote, a Snake River cowboy and damn proud of it. His father farmed the land he lives upon, and Mr. Smith was recently planning to retire and let his son take over the farm. Mr. Smith's dreams have been shattered and he's on the verge of losing his 2,000 plus acres, his home and his son's future livelihood. Mr. Smith, to his credit, took a long good look at his problem and how he arrived at so starry a state. Now take heart, kinsman. What did Mr. Smith say when he came to the root cause of his problem? Mr. Smith said, Jew! 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 Not only did Mr. Smith say Jew, he yelled Jew. His neighbors started yelling, Jew. And how did the system react? By sending a plane, a helicopter, a bulldozer, SWAT teams from all over the state of Washington, and 60 very heavily armed deputies to the foreclosure in Mr. Smith's farm. Needless to say, Mr. Smith is now a member of No Fit, and so are his neighbors. Mr. Smith also travels all over the state of Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, speaking out about the Jews and handing out copies of the Protocols of Zion. We need this man in the alliance. Radicalization of the American farm movement is also taking place in the Dakotas and Colorado. Last week I talked at length to a Colorado-based racialist activist who has extensive personal experience dealing with the Colorado farmers. Several years ago this gentleman distributed huge amounts of WRAs and other literature to farmers and ranchers around Fort Collins, Colorado. His efforts bore fruit. For soon after his initial literature distribution, he witnessed the birth of the anti-Jewish, pro-white Farmers Liberation Army. The feds are, are extremely panicked about this outfit. The same gentleman also gave me copies of the Primrose and Cattlemen's Gazette, published in Fort Lupton, Colorado. This is an excellent little rural newspaper with a considerable circulation, which is geared towards the needs and interests of the farmer and rancher. What's interesting about this newspaper, in this issue, is an excellent little article on the Protocols of Zion. And this issue here is a full-page advertisement for a very anti-Jewish, pro-white racialist organization. The Jews are coming down hard in this brave little newspaper like chickens on a June bug. 
and it appears that it might eventually fold up, but the seeds have been sown. So comrades, I have briefly informed you of the potential for our movement, which lies within the farming communities across this nation. We must, it is our duty to, take advantage of the ever-increasing radicalization of the American farmer. The fate of every last white man, woman, and child on this planet lies squarely on the shoulders of us here in this room today. Out of all the white racialist organizations in this nation, the Alliance, and only the Alliance, has the potential to bring us to victory. Through the Alliance lies the salvation for our entire race. We cannot fail. Therefore, let us not only preach, let us live racial economics. Meddling falls, we are not only eating, breathing, and sleeping, we are growing together as one mind and one body. We have broken the chains of Jewish thought. Meddling falls, we know not the meaning of the word mine, it is ours. Our race, the totality of our people. Ten hearts, one beat. One hundred hearts, one beat. Ten thousand hearts, one beat. We are born to fight and to die and to continue the flow, the flow of our people. Onward we will go, onward to the stars, high above the mud, the mud of yellow, black, and brown. So kinsman, duty calls. The future is now. If months from now you have not yet fully committed yourself to the alliance and the responsibilities thereof, then you have in effect not only betrayed your race, you have betrayed yourself. So stand up like men and drive the enemy into the sea. Stand up like men and swear a sacred oath upon the green graves of our sires that you will reclaim what our forefathers discovered, explored, conquered, settled, built, and died for. Stand up like men and reclaim our soil. Kinsmen, arise. Look towards the stars and proclaim our destiny. In Medellin Falls, we have a saying, defeat never, victory forever. Thank you. Bob's talk was well received by the Alliance members. People like to hear a call to action even if they personally have no intention of doing anything except cheering from the sidelines. My own reaction at the time was somewhat cooler, and I tried tactfully to point out to Bob after his speech that his experiences in the Pacific Northwest might have given him a more optimistic view of the situation in America than was justified by the facts. I told him that the people he had talked with during the summer weren't really a cross-section of the American public, and that white people generally weren't yet in a revolutionary mood. In view of subsequent events, perhaps I shouldn't have tried to be tactful, but instead should have stressed the need to maintain a realistic view of our situation and not yield to the urge for premature action. I expressed my regrets in this regard to his widow a few months after his death. 
She told me that it wouldn't have made any difference. Bob already had decided before he gave his speech what he would do, she said, and there was no holding him back. He was fed up with the slow work of recruiting, which was really much more discouraging work during the 1980s than it is now. And he had made up his mind to take up the gun against the enemy, regardless of the consequences. He already had told her that what he intended to do almost certainly would cost him his life. When most people think about the consequences of Bob's decision, they think only about the negative things, about the facts that he was killed and that a dozen good people were sent to prison. Some of our less radical brethren bemoan the fact that Bob, by using violence against the enemy, provoked repressive measures which made their own work more difficult. Bob succeeded in killing only one Jew, they add, and that Jew, an especially abrasive and obnoxious radio talk show host named Alan Berg, who was machine-gunned in Denver in 1984, would better have been left alive so that he could continue stirring up anti-Jewish feeling among his listeners. Furthermore, the violence gave the patriotic movement a black eye, they complain, and it scared away many potential supporters who want nothing to do with violence or illegality. There is, of course, some truth in these complaints. Many timid people were scared away from the patriotic movement by Bob's activity and the enormous publicity it generated in the controlled media. Perhaps these people's financial support would have been helpful. Perhaps it would have been better not to put the enemy on guard by attacking prematurely. There is, however, a value in what Bob did which goes far beyond such petty consequences. In every revolution, in every great movement for human renewal, symbols are every bit as important as guns and money and manpower. Bob gave us a very important symbol. In the day-to-day -day work of writing and publishing and advertising and recruiting and organizing, we tend to forget the reality of our situation. We tend to believe that we are in some sort of political or ideological contest where you deal with your opponents the way the Democrats and the Republicans deal with each other. We go about our work in a civilized way and lead more or less normal lives. At the extreme we occasionally swap insults in public with our enemies. They call us haters, and we call them un-American or anti-white or sick. The fact is, however, that we are engaged in a fight for racial survival. It is a fight in which either our race or the Jews will be exterminated utterly. And it is a fight which we are losing. We've been losing it for the past 50 years. In every daily newspaper, in every radio or television news broadcast, we're hit in the face with the fact that we're losing. Our noses are rubbed in it every day. We read the statistics about the flood of non-whites coming across our borders, both legally and illegally, and at the same time we listen to the controlled media and the churches uttering shrill accusations of racism against anyone who dares suggest that we already have too much 
wretched human refuse on our shores, while our government wrings its hands and claims that it is powerless to stem even the illegal portion of the flood. We see the growing hordes of this refuse on the streets of our cities. We know what it is doing to our schools and to the lives of our children. We see a rising tide of degeneracy, of crime, of racial mixing, of drug usage year after year. We see ourselves being dispossessed in our land, with our enemies gloating over each new victory in their growing campaign to disarm us and to silence us while the dispossession continues. Bob Matthews saw all of these things too. And then he stood up and said, I'm not going to take this anymore. It's not enough for us to say that we believe in a white America. We also must fight for it. It's time for us to begin killing the people who are killing our race. That set a few faint hearts to fluttering among those nominally on our side, who stress their obedience to the laws our enemies have imposed on us. It should have made them feel ashamed of themselves instead, because Bob was essentially right. He did what was morally right. He may have been a bit premature, and he may have made many tactical errors, but he reminded us that we are not engaged in a debate between gentlemen. Instead, we are engaged in the most desperate war we have ever fought, a war for the survival of our race, and that ultimately we cannot win it except by killing our enemies. And we cannot kill our enemies without taking a chance on being killed ourselves. We needed that reminder. Bob elevated the level of our struggle. He took us from name-calling to bloodletting. He cleared the air for us. In the long run, that will be helpful. In the long run, that's what Bob will be remembered for.